Hello, and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the survivor that cares about you, the listener, more than any other. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. And I'm Jay Fisher, and I care about you kind of, well, a lot. Maybe not as much as Mario, but 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 uh, but, but but probably more than Paul. Uh, I'm Mike Bloom, and I'm 15 for a moment. <laughs> yeah, I'm Paul Osselson. I have absolutely nothing prepared, but um, I guess I guess Jay probably cares about you a little bit more because I don't get any messages about how great my voice is. So um, <laughs> there's that. Yeah, Paul might be the uh, historian who gets the least amount of feedback now. I believe Jay has passed him. So Paul is the one to feel p- pity for at this point. Yeah, right. I'm at the bottom here. I'm like uh, Kim Johnson falling flat on her face in Survivor Africa. That's how low I am to the ground uh, of the totem pole of Survivor historians. Well, I hope that means that you're going to podcast with a feather sticking out of your butt crack for the next three hours. <laughs> like he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, if I get pissy by the end of the podcast, it's the feather. <laughs> <laughs> Takes a couple hours to work its way up there. All right. So anyway, uh, this is a special podcast. We try to do one of these every five seasons or so. Where it's a just our listener questions. I put out some feelers a while back on uh, Reddit, on Survivor Sucks, on Facebook. Just if you have any questions you want us to talk about, it can be about us, about the the show through the first fifteen seasons, really about anything. Just uh, send it on in, and we'll just spend an entire show talking about it. Um, this is a thinly disguised uh, attempt for us to stall before getting to Micronesia. So, so uh, yeah, we are pretty much all set here. We're just going to jump right into it. Um, I am going to turn it over. We have uh, one of our uh, associates is going to run the podcast today. And as always, it's the ever-prepared Paul Osselson. Paul, thank you for running the podcast today. I'm actually going to default to uh, the person, <laughs> the other, the, the temp, since I'm at the bottom of the barrel. I don't think I'm even capable of, of reading off questions off of a, a Google Doc sheet. So I'm actually right. going to have to bow out of this one. All also, right, Paul. Also, wait, wait, really quickly. How many episodes of this show have we done together? The, all the, four of us. Well, four of us? you know, just just it, it, how, okay. I guess you know, Paul was here, and then he wasn't, and then Mike wasn't here, and then he was, and then they're both here, and I, I that's confusing enough as it is. But like, we we're like fifteen seasons in, and we've got like what over thirty episodes of the show now. I don't I don't know how yeah, many. Yeah. So but like, uh, according to funny one fifteen dot com slash podcast, uh, we finishing off China, we had forty one podcasts covering with our recaps, and that doesn't include things like. The Apprentice stuff, the listener questions that you guys did, Survivor After 10 Seasons, and our Chris interview. So I guess if you add those in, it's it, we're closing in on the big five zero. Okay, so we've got like 40-plus podcasts, and Mario just referred to him as his associate? <laughs> Promotion! What the hell? <laughs> it is Paul. I mean, come on. We're talking about Paul here. I wouldn't refer to you as an associate. You're my equal, Jay. Oh, Jesus. Boy, in every one of those damn podcasts, Mario and Jay has been on. So. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I guess only two of us have been here for every podcast. To be fair, I didn't, I didn't, it, I didn't, ex- I didn't exist on the internet until 2014, so I have no excuse. <laughs> I know, and, and now you're the biggest out of all of us, so, you know, what do we know? I'm still going to call you Temp, though. I'm just sure you're aware it's of that. Fine. It's fine. It's, uh, I'm, I'm going to take it in stride, as always. And I got your guys' coffee orders as well, so I'm, I'm going to... Awesome. Uh, so there you go, soy cafe latte. Uh, Paul, here's your skim milk, two percent cow's milk. Actually, <laughs> actually, I would like I would I would I would like a big Snickers so that I can uh, uh, deep throat that. <laughs> okay, great. I'll swing by the uh, I'll swing by the Piggly Wiggly when we're done with this and pick up a nice big king size <laughs> Snickers bar. 
Okay, so I will turn it over officially to the temp. Mike is going to run the listener questions. Mike Bloom, take it away. It's all yours. All right, so I'm going to apologize in advance. I'm going to butcher so many names more than more than uh, Brian at a I don't know in Chinatown. Uh, so we're going to start <laughs> with a, a question from Beasterney on Reddit. Bisterne uh, asks, you've given us a, a history of Survivor. Now, can you give us a history of Survivor historians? Why you decided to use the podcast format, how the team came together, what the challenges were to the podcast over the years, and what has ultimately made it such a success? Wow, we're a success? I didn't know is, that. I was going to say, is this such a success? Uh... <laughs> All right, uh, I guess I better answer this one. Um, the history of the Survivor historians. Basically... It was something, Jay, I, you and I would talk about from time to time on email, correct? Is that how it be before we ever recorded anything? We would, yeah, we would talk with email, not specifically about podcasting, but doing mm-hmm. something. Okay. Yeah, Jay and I go way back, way before, I mean, we ever put together historians. He was someone I always wanted to work with on a project together. And again, we had an idea for maybe a mystery science theater where we riff a season or something like that. And And one day I just decided, you know, there's all this great history that survivor has and no one's ever made any effort to document it like the the show is always focusing on the here the now returnees and all the stuff but they after all stars they really kind of never tried to celebrate the original season so i'm like well i I wasn't really interested in becoming a podcaster i mean there's people who have far more experience about with the stuff than i do so i'm like well let's just throw something together i'll get some people that know their stuff I'll get me, I'll get Jay. I had a friend named Beatles over on Survivor Sucks. I knew Paul, who is, again, the trivia master. No one knows more about trivia than Paul. So I just think, yeah, threw us all together. We got into a Skype call, and I said, let's just record it, and we'll say it's the Survivor Historian. So it wasn't really meant to be anything permanent or fancy or, again, like a successful podcast. It was almost like a one-time thing at the start just to go over the history of Survivor and stuff that had been uh, lost. Is that how you would remember it, Jay? Yeah, you... You know, you and I just talked about, you know, doing something, right? And then it was like you were you were doing your funny 115s. I don't know which one, one or two, or, or what you were doing. And I was like, hey, maybe I could contribute. But then I, I was sitting there going, like, I'm not the best writer on planet Earth. And, you know, it's your gig, and there's this whole thing. And you were like, hey, I have an idea. Let's let's just do a podcast or something like that. And and it was it was your idea was so funny now in, in retrospect, it was, it was, let's do a podcast and it'll just be like a one podcast. And we'll talk about like four or five seasons of survivor. <laughs> no, the original, we were going to sit down for two hours and cover Borneo through Marquesas, 30 minutes per season and get it done. in One, one big podcast. Yeah. And I have to say, I also knew Paul. Paul was someone I knew through MySpace way back in the MySpace days. And I always wanted to do a project with him too. So in the, at the end of the day, historians really just started as I wanted to hang out with Jay and Paul and do something. Just some project. I didn't even care what it was. I just figured it would be fun to be the three of us. So that's and I really finally ha- turned 18. I was no longer a minor, so you could so, work so on it was legal. It was legal. <laughs> yeah, yeah there are the international podcast laws. Yes, I forgot about that. We had to uh, adhere by those. But yeah, so it was just the four of us. Beatles, again, was the fourth one in here. And Beatles knows more about Survivor than anybody. He like blows me away with how much he knows about the show. I would just defer to him on any, almost any question on that first podcast if you go back and listen to it. I was, but the thing was, he wasn't really interested in being a podcaster. He just did it as a favor to me. So yeah, that's how it started. Um, there wasn't really anybody else doing anything like this at the time. And again, it wasn't intended to fill a niche other than kind of a one-time thing. And yeah, we 
did the four of us, and you if you listen to that first one, it's very rough. We didn't really know what we were doing yet, and I used to talk way too fast, so I'm glad that I've figured out how to slow down my voice. But yeah, we did the four of us. We started doing the seasons. We got some positive feedback. People said, yeah, we like this stuff. It's funny. You guys are good. Please do more. So we're like, okay, well, if people want more, we'll keep doing it. So that's how that started, and then we had the issue. The big challenge was when Paul went to Germany, and I didn't want to lose Paul because I thought he was a very important voice with the show, and I'm I just have a, a, a one of my traits is that I'm super loyal. Like I would never do the show without Paul unless we could explore every avenue to keep him on the show first. So we really, Jay and I dragged our feet as long as possible before deciding to go in without Paul. We just as like hard this. as I tried to run, I tried to get away. Yes, we would not let you. Now that you're 18, you belong to us. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, and that's how Mike came in because we did the contest and Mike. There were several really strong applicants, but Mike at the end of the day, just was the one that made us laugh the most. Jay just, Jay and I were just laughing off the air after his interviews every time. and like, well, that's the guy we want to hang out with. So that's really it. That's really all I have to say about this. I'm sure you guys have to some to add. Yeah, I'm glad that you rep- you wanted to replace the voice of Paul with someone who also has a similar sounding voice as Paul. It really was a, a near one-to-one comparison. <laughs> yeah. If I, could, if, if I could count the number of times I've mistaken a Montana person for a New York person over the years. You would walk into a synagogue and you'd have a lot of questions. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, I don't know if you guys have anything to add about the history or challenges that you remember us facing. Well, I, I actually, I mean, I have a question as someone who was obviously on the outside for the first seven seasons. I mean, what was the sort of incident that made you kind of jump into covering the seasons? Because, as you said, you wanted to make it a sort of flash in the pan, one time thing of just covering the first four seasons in one podcast. Was it just you felt like there was lightning had struck uh, from an audio perspective and you thought, oh, okay, I want to keep doing this. Now let's go back through Borneo. Or were, or was there some sort of comment that spurred you along? Um, well, I'm about to divulge the secret to most things Mario Lanza, if I can. Uh, the secret is compliment Mario and things will happen. <laughs> so... I, I think what happened mainly, and I think that the thing is, is that we were sort of pissed in the sense, if, if you go back to that first episode, the, the the laughable goal that we had of the, oh, we'll just talk for two hours on four seasons of Survivor. Like, we we, we were going to go through Marquesas in that first two hours. And then, you know, at some point, I in, in that, that first episode, like, there's no cuts. There's no anything. It's literally just, that's the recording. As is, but I think at some point you can hear me. I think it's me who it's about an hour and a half in, and we had just were sort of wrapping up somewhat with Australia. And I was like, we need to move on to Africa because our time's almost up, sort of thing. <laughs> and we got we got a little bit in Africa, and then Mario was like, oh shoot, it's two hours. I guess we got to go. And we left. And when we got off, like Mario and I were messaging back and forth, and I think Paul was messaging too, or, or I don't know, but we were like, Mario was like, I want. I don't feel like we're done. So we were at least going to do a second one, right? So we did the first one, and it didn't, you know, we, we had things not going on. Then we, d- we were going to do a second one. And I think I messaged Mario and said, well, you know what? Why don't we just take our time with this, and we'll just do, an- we'll do another episode, and that one will just be Borneo. And we'll go back and hit the Borneo stuff. And then we'll just do an episode on Australia, and we'll do an episode on Africa, and we'll do an episode on Marquesas, and so it'll just be kind of four more episodes. And and Mario was like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. So then the plan went from one podcast, two hours for four seasons, to 
four two-hour podcast on one season apiece. And we sort of did that for Borneo, and then we started talking in Australia. And I, it just sort of became organic in the sense that, like, we, we were jumping around from topic to topic, but then when we were talking about Australia going into it, we were sort of messaging back and forth or and whatever we were doing, and we just kept talking about how amazing, because we were re-watching it, and we just were gushing about how good that first uh, the first half of Australia is. And so we just kept talking about it. And then I think one of us was like, boy, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the first part of the episode. And we did. And so we just started talking about the first couple seasons in that episode. And I literally said at some point, like, I think we're going to need two episodes on this one. And it just sort of, we just kept talking and talking and it just sort of, it, it was very organic. It was not planned out. Like, oh, we're going to, we're going to expand it this way. We just sort of and, and, you know, Mario at the beginning was like, I don't want to do this in a chronological order, like go episode by episode. But we sort of felt we had to do it with Australia because of just the great string of episodes there at the beginning of that season. And because of that, we sort of liked that format. And so everything sort of was very organic based on what was in front of us. So we didn't do a proper three episode, nine hour rant on Survivor Borneo, but we didn't feel like it needed it because it's just what it is. But starting with Australia, we started to get into a format and then we saw the jokes that were coming out and the conversations that were sort of organically coming from it. So, I mean, I, I'm very proud of the fact that Survivor Historians really did come from something that we didn't necessarily plan, but we, you know, in true historian's fashion, we just sort of made it up as we went along. And it became a format that we enjoyed, and I think people do enjoy. Survivor yeah. Historians was the best and- accident that ever occurred on podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, and I think about the the times early on where, like, it really became fun to me and really became something that I wanted to keep on doing. And I think back to, I could picture right where I was, where we were po- podcasting about Kim Johnson falling in Survivor Africa and just all these jokes that came from it. And just, like, I remember laughing and having so much fun with that. And then the next season, talking about Zoe Zanadakis, which before historians, no one talked about Zoe Zanadakis. I remember one time I wrote on Mario's wall about Zoe Zanadakis. He didn't even respond to me. This is before historians. Like, he liked my comment. I said something about, like, so, just wa- re-watching Survivor Marquesas. Zoe Zanadakis is the weirdest person ever. Who is she as a person? Just watched her on the early show, and it's totally bizarre. Like, Try to get some dialogue going about Zoe, and Mario liked the comment. I liked it. That's so, good like, enough. <laughs> right. So, like, God, don't you feel blessed? The author of the Funny One Fifteen right. liked your comment. <laughs> liked oh. that comment. So, just getting the opportunity to talk about like the little things that I always thought about watching the show, being able just to discuss things like that at length, and have those be jokes that continue after season, after season, after season. Now everyone knows about working hard, playing hard, and and uh, she's even got a lobster lobster shack. So. Um, <laughs> That, that's what really hooked me in. I have to say two things about this. That The question that I get directed to me all the time, people always say, when are you, gonna, when are you guys on Historians going to go back and redo Borneo, like in the format of a, of a season you watch now? So that's something people bug me about all the time. Because, again, our Borneo podcast is only one episode, right? Yeah. Borneo and BJ's. Yeah. So, so people ask me that all the time. So maybe we might do that. I don't know if we're really hard up for material trying to get some more podcasts out because that is something we probably do owe you a full on retrospective of Borneo. And the other thing is that as people always ask me, it's funny that Paul, you brought up Zoe because people are always asking me, they're like, oh, Mario, I know you love Zoe. You're a big Zoe fan. And I'm like, that was Paul. Like, if you listen to those historians things, I didn't. Zoe doesn't even register on my radar the first couple of times we talk about her. It's all Paul bringing her up, and Paul made her into this thing. So I will give Paul full credit for the legend of Zoe Zanadakis kind of taking off because that was all him. 
I mean, yeah, Zoe Zagadon, she's like so part of my being now that the other day I teach kindergarten and the other day I was, all my kids were getting anxious. They wanted to go outside to recess and I was giving the talk that, you know, we have to do work first and then we can go outside and play. And I literally said to them, in this class, we work hard and then we play hard. And I was like, oh my God, Zoe is here. Her spirit is here. I thought you meant you to help like satiate them. You fed them like little bits of Snickers just to whet their appetite. (laughs) Well, that was snack time. That was snack time. And we had to talk about how you put the Snicker in your mouth as not to be suggestive. Oh. Loose education laws there in Montana, it seems. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So that's the history of historians, basically. I'm sure there's a lot more stuff we could add about it, but that's the general gist of it. That's, again, it was a, as Mike pointed out, it was a happy accident. Well, I guess I should segue into a question that I know you've received a lot, Mario, which is these listener questions are a great time for us to kind of give some background into ourselves, who we are outside of the podcast, and what life we've lived up to this point. <laughs> yeah, I, this is one people email me directly all the time. Like They're like, you know, we listen, listen to you guys all the time, but who are you? Who, who are we listening to? So I suppose we should give a little history. Um I'll just start since I'm in the middle of a sentence here. Um, my name's Mario Lanza. I grew up in Seattle, Washington. Seattle and then Spokane and Bellevue. I'm a native Northwesterner, so I have very strong Northwest roots. I'm a big Seattle Mariners fan. I am a big Seattle Seahawks fan when they are good because I'm a bandwagon fan. Um, but yeah, that's my. I'm a Northwest guy. I've been living in California since, uh, since 1992. I came down for college to Santa Clara University. Uh, and I've always said that the reason I wanted to move to California is because I was a big Beach Boys fan. Uh, my dad trained me when I was a kid to love all Beach Boys music, and I just love all the stuff uh, in my room, Surfer Girl, God Only Knows, just the whole image of California evoked from those music. I mean, I heard that all the time when I was a kid, and I always wanted to move to California. So I wound up at Santa Clara University. I met my wife there. Uh, she was a freshman when I was there. And then uh, <clears throat> I was a psychology major, but somehow I ended up as a computer programmer. That's what I am now. I'm the world's only computer programmer with a psych degree and a background in criminal psychology. And just uh, as a computer programmer, um, what happens is you have a lot of downtime during the day. You have times where you're incredibly stressed. You have to get projects done. You have to get coding done. But there's other times in the day when I'm just kind of on call. I'm just, I just have to hang around in case there's an issue at some hospital where I have to go in and fix their system. And in these downtimes, I would try to fig- find some hobby to, to uh, you know, keep, keep myself from going crazy during this downtime. And so I just started doing Internet writing. And basically how I got involved in internet writing was back in 95, 96, 97, there was a guy on AOL Digital City named Bill Simmons, who's like a big deal now. At the time, he was just a little sports writer. He called himself the Boston sports guy. I got attached to him. I thought he was hilarious because he wrote these things about pop culture and movies, and I got attached to him. I said, hey, I'd love to help you out. I became his intern. I used to come up with his link of the day every every day, and I'd give him all sorts of funny stuff. And so... He had this cool little niche where he wrote about sports and movies, and I'm like, well, I would love to do that. That's just a fun thing to do. So I just would start writing about movies and TV shows on the side, which was what, like, I'm, I'm a pop culture junkie just like he was. And, like, Saturday Night Live, I would write Saturday Night Live episode reviews. I would write re- uh, reviews of Mystery Science Theater, my other favorite show. And I kind of had a, a small following at the time as an SNL reviewer. I used to write these sketches. I actually had a couple sketches of mine bought by a TV show, a pilot, back in 1999. And uh, so that's kind of what I was doing. And then Survivor came around, 
And with my background in psychology, I just love Survivor because it's just like a psychology experiment, a sociology experiment. So I got involved, just started writing about the show. I somehow ended up on a website called Survivor Central. And then ever since 2001, I have been known as the not the Survivor guy, but the Funny 115 guy. But I was writing about Survivor well before the Funny 115 ever existed. So, yeah, that's that's my story. Um, I grew up very poor. I don't know if a lot of people know that about me. Um, my mom, when I was we were, when I was a kid, my my dad was in law school. My mom worked at Safeway as like a grocery clerk. So we were basically a one-income family in Spokane in the late 70s, early 80s. Most of my toys were like homemade. We never got to go out to dinner. We didn't have any money, period. Like everything was homemade. I couldn't afford anything. We'd get all our clothes at like Goodwill all, all the time. So like I grew up as a very poor kid and I'm just uh um, we're not like that now, but I have a, I have the, the mindset of someone who grew up without very much. That's kind of my thing. So that's another thing that people might not know about me. Wow. That right. was, that, that was a lot. Yeah. See, so yeah, I said, people want to know who we are. So there's my life story. Can't wait for the Mario Lanza historians to come out. <laughs> I think that was just it. That was episode one. <laughs> no, well, you know, there might be more afterwards. Who knows? <laughs> and you have to edit Beatles in there commenting every so often. <laughs> All right, Jay, you're up. Oh, I have to go. Um, I was born and raised in Torrance, California, which is it's it's always so weird when you talk about Southern California and and, and things around Los Angeles because it's you know you've lived around there, Mario. Like you, you know, it's yeah. it's not Torrance is it, technically I guess it's a suburb of Los Angeles in the sense that it's a city that satellites around LA, but Torrance is what you know two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand people. Like it, it's it's a really large city, so it, it's it's very tough to to call it some sort of uh, thing like that. But I, I grew up in the suburbs, um, had a pretty normal childhood, I would think, in in the sense. I mean, my I, I didn't grow up super poor. I didn't grow up super rich. It was just sort of a middle class family living in Los Angeles. Um, I graduated from Torrance High School, which you've probably seen on your television at some point. It was it's uh, they've done a lot of filming there. They filmed uh, it was West Beverly High for Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero way back in the day when my sister was going through, and uh, when I was going through, they filmed Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So I got to meet a couple of people um, on the set there because they would film sort of around us. And just so you know, they wouldn't use us. Uh, high school kids as a background because we weren't union and you know also Buffy and uh, you know Sarah Michelle Geller and and uh, all those characters that played high school kids were very much older than us high school kids now so you can't have like high school kid extras when your high school kids on the television are like 10 years older than high school kids so your extras also have to be older <laughs> so they would sort of like film in between classes or on the weekends, they'd sort of, you know, take time and they'd set up a shot. And then when we were all in, in class, they would they would shoot some of the scenes. And then when the bell would ring, they would all run to their trailers and hide while all of us, you know, massive kids would go from class to class to class sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, so Torrance High School, very, very famous sort of uh, film school. Uh, She's All That was filmed there. A bunch of other things were filmed there. But uh, I graduated from there and I decided to take, you know, in a, in a reverse sort of from Mario, which is go, go, go to, you know, California. I left. I went to Michigan State University, um, mainly because I just wanted to go have an adventure. I, I applied to a bunch of colleges, got into most of them. I was a pretty good student. And I sort of, 
I don't know. I just wanted to go away. Like a lot, a lot of my friends were going to UCLA, which is a fine school, and and I also could have gone there as well. But I just felt like I wanted to go have an adventure somewhere, go somewhere different. So my parents told me my parents are from the Midwest, and they told me that I should at least apply to one Big Ten school. I didn't have to go. They just wanted me to apply to one. And I was initially going to be a journalism major, and Michigan State had the best journalism school. And so I applied there, got in, but then I got an academic scholarship to go there, and you know they they really pursued me. And so I just said, you know what, let's go. So I went to Michigan State and I learned what winters were. I learned a lot of things out there and um, uh, met my wife there and graduated uh, with a degree in history and a minors in psychology and secondary education. And uh, I work in education today and my love all the way through high school and I put it on hiatus in college and stuff like that was theater. And that's something that I am very involved in now. Uh, I, te- I teach and direct theater shows and I have uh, recently in the last couple of years started to try my hand in the local uh, community theater. I live, I live in uh, the greater Grand Rapids, Michigan area. So I do theater shows around there. So if you're ever looking at local theater shows around there, you might see me. I'm just saying. I have to point out one thing that when I first moved to Southern California, we moved in 1999, right before we started having kids, we moved to Torrance. So there was a short period of time where Jay and I actually lived in the same town, but we didn't know each other yet. No. You, 99, you said? Yeah. That was, that was the year I graduated high school? So All right. You guys right, yes. didn't meet up for like fan fiction writing conventions or something? <laughs> no, we, we no Jay, Jay stood outside the fan fiction writing conventions protesting it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, no, none of this. There was one time where Mario, like, because I've uh, recently I met Paul. Paul was, uh, you know, he he spent some time before Paul gives us all his backstory. But Paul was spending some time. He spent a cup of co- cup of coffee here in Chicago, which is you know not super far away from Grand Rapids. And uh, you know, just before he moved back to Montana, he was like, hey, let's meet up. So I met up with Paul. He came to Grand Rapids. We had lunch and stuff. But like, there was one time I was in California, and and uh, Mario was, you know, where he was, and I was like, "Hey, do you want to like meet up for something?" And Mario's like, "I'm busy today." <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like me. And, and and we didn't, and it was totally fine. Like, I wasn't even disappointed. It was like, "Hey, man, are you around?" Because I didn't totally want to drive all the way to where you were. I was like, "Do you want to maybe try to meet somewhere?" And you were like, "Eh, I got things." And I was like, "Yeah, that's cool." <laughs> So, do you remember you know, approximately when that was? I don't remember God, that. God, no, I don't know. All right, it, so, it so, so far we ago. have stories of Mario snubbing Paul via Facebook post about Zoe, and we have Mario snubbing meeting Jay in person. I feel like we're just building the dossier against you when we <laughs> overthrow this podcast. <laughs> I'm what? guessing, yeah, I'm guessing that was between 2002, 2004, somewhere in there, probably a long time ago. I don't know, man. It, yeah. was, it was a while ago. Yeah, the only reason I say that is because my wife and I have been down here in Southern California and we have like no relatives within 300 miles. It's just the two of us. And we had a couple years there where we had two little kids, a one and a three year old where we were probably just going insane. And we like had no business talking to anybody because it just drives you fucking crazy having little kids like that. So I'm guessing it was somewhere in that era. Also, I don't want to meet you now, so don't bother. That's cool. We're good. (laughs) Yeah. All right, Paul, you're up Montana. Uh, I was oh I was gonna say I'm gonna drop something on the podcast that I've never shared before. I am from Montana. <laughs> what? I thought you were from New York. <laughs> I know, I know, it's crazy. I know, as if that's not something that's talked about all the time, no matter what podcast I'm on. Uh, but I am from Montana. Um, live here now, but um, I, I went to school in Montana. 
uh, majored in uh, secondary education with German was my major, Russian was my minor. And then following my, my years after graduation, I spent a year in Germany, which is why the historians had a bit of a speed bump trying to figure out what to do when I went there. And then I spent two years living in Chicago, uh, where I was teaching in, in Chicago first grade. And then just recently, within the last um, month, I've actually moved back to Montana so that I can make sure that I can talk a lot about Montana and get new material to talk about that. Uh, but it's like when I think about growing up and stuff, uh, Survivor was such a huge part of my growing up because I was 10 when it, when it um, first came out. It was right after fourth grade. And I was like so into it. And those first few seasons, I just had recorded on VHS. And I always like tell this, try to like, like there's a, there's a gap in time where I don't know that much um, music. Like when I was like in middle school, I don't really remember like the music at that time because I didn't listen to music. I didn't listen to the radio. I didn't have CDs. I literally had Survivor like on in the background all the time. Like I was always rewatching it. And if you think like when I was in middle school, there were not that many seasons out yet. There were like five or six. So literally I'm like watching the same ones over and over again to the point that some of those early seasons I can still, you know, recall word for word what's being said. So um, Survivor definitely was a big part of my growing up because in that kind of turned into a hobby of mine in high school was, well, actually when I was younger too, we would do Survivor in my backyard. And it started when I would think it was in seventh grade. Um, it started really small with like six kids um, and we would play Survivor in my backyard and then I'd have to like um, have my mom be the host and she was like not that into it but she did it for me and I have to write down all these questions on index cards for her and she's so apathetic during them and I have it on this VHS it was called Survivor Montana and it's like it's like so embarrassing but like so funny because my mom is so not into it we'd be like hey mom we're ready for tribal council come out she like walks <laughs> out and there's and like her friend her friend like Lori get the camera so they're like inside like <laughs> Okay, okay, here we come. They walk out with the camera. They hear Lori's filming the camera. My mom has her uh, index card. She's like, and they're like pre-written questions that I've written, like generic questions to ask at Tribal Council. So she's like, okay, Cameron, how are things at the camp? And then he'd answer, and then she'd be like, all right, it is now time to vote. And she just was like, so not into it all. So like, I started doing that in my backyard with like my with my friends. And then um, over the next couple of years, then like I was a little bit older than my brother. I was like five years older, and so mostly his friends would come over, and we would like film the whole season. It got to be like a two day event, and it was really kind of sadistic because most of these kids were like, I remember one time if you go back, there's like. Um, uh, one of the kids on the show was in first grade. <laughs> Survivor in our backyard. <laughs> so it was like Nicholas, first grader, and like they, they raged like all through like, the elementary school kids. And like it was like funny the the fact that these, some of these kids were like crying when they got voted off and stuff because it was like really traumatizing for them. But like sometimes the parents got into well, the parents were one of two ways. Either the parents were kind of concerned like this was not good for their kids to be doing this, or they were like so into it. Like I remember this one mom was telling her daughter like. Come on, Liz. You gotta you gotta stab people in the back. That's the name of the game. So, like, that was like my big like hobby. Like, you know, it, throughout like high school and stuff. And then I ended up doing um, some seasons after high school every summer with with people more my own age and not little kids anymore like that. So, like, so wait, and, and you then, were competing against first graders in challenges and stuff. I no, I I was at that point. I was the host. <laughs> Paul so, was Paul was the Aussie of Survivor. Right, there's, there's, there's this famous scene. I should see if I can like dig up the VHS and like just record this little clip of it because it's a great clip of it's it was during survivor montana i was in i think i was oh i was in seventh grade my brother is like in third grade and we're doing this challenge in the backyard now 
I have come up with all the challenges because like I have to. So I was a contestant slash like made all the challenges and like so I knew exactly like how to win them and stuff. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do really good at this. <laughs> so the challenge is it's it's down to me and, and my brother in the last round. And there's these like um blocks all over the backyard and like only five of them or 10 of them have words on them and so you have to find the 10 words in your or five words in your color bring them back and then alphabetize them to win so okay i got this like i know what the words are already because i wrote them and stuff and i'm running it's my brother and he's beating me and i'm getting like so pissed that i like kind of like run into him on purpose and he like falls down flat on his back <laughs> in the backyard oh uh, call like, the ambulance darren's crying <laughs> on the course yeah but then look at this then he wins he beats me the challenge and then next tribal council votes me out of the game and my brother goes on to win the whole game and he's like a third grader and i'm a seventh grader so so wow. it really is terry anyway. and aris your relationship with your brother right right <laughs> so anyway so all this like survivor fandom then is like now now the way i kind of get to to be able to do this creatively is to do things like Survivor Historians and The Tribe and still get to talk about Survivor that way since I'm no longer making um, little kids uh, fight fight it out. So <laughs> It's like Paul Osselson Fight Club. Yeah, Paul was the inspiration for Hunger Games. Not a lot of people know that. I'm also really excited to see your mom take over for Jeff Probst when he leaves the show. Yeah. He's burned. He's burned pretty bad, Lori. <laughs> Oh god. I don't I don't know how oh, I can top never... that. That is incredible. Um so I grew up in Norwalk, Connecticut, which admittedly is in a very affluent uh county, uh Fairfield County. I think when people usually think of the stereotypes of Connecticut, it usually comes from that region. Our schools were filled with people wearing boat shoes and many popped collars on two different polos at a time. Uh I graduated and much like Jay kind of wanted to get out of there but not too too far i went about two and a half hours south to uh, a school called muhlenberg college i had been doing theater since i was about eight and even growing up in high school i had done a lot of movies with my friends i had started an improv group so i was kind of always performing since i could always remember uh so i majored in theater and economics when i was there i did a lot on top of that i Worked at the coffee shop. I was in a fraternity. I ended up being president of the theater association. I was a DJ at a radio station. I won a male pageant at my school one year. Uh, I actually am just coming back from my five-year reunion that I had the day before. And it's crazy remembering how I basically worked myself to the bone through those four years. But it was incredible. I guess talking about my personal history with Survivor sort of at the same time. I mean, I'm the same age as Paul. Uh, I was double digits when the seasons first came out, and I remember watching the first season with my family. Then only me and my sister watched, I'd say, the first, like, five or six seasons. I remember we were, like, writing parody songs uh, about Survivor Thailand to the tune of Avril Lavigne's Skater Boy. For some reason, that memory really sticks out in my head. Um, but after, I think, Pearl Islands or All-Stars, Mario, you'd love my sister because I think after All-Stars, my sister just dropped off the map when it came to Survivor. Yes! She's, yes. she's a true purist. Um, but I stuck along with it, but more and more people around me weren't watching the show, so I sort of thought it wasn't a cool thing to do anymore. So I still watched it, but that's where I sort of found the online Survivor community, where I was sort of a lurker. I was on Survivor Sucks for a while, where I would, I think the, probably the most prominent thing I would do, and this probably isn't even prominent is i would run like popularity polls for like the amazing race forum not even survivor related uh and even through college i was able to get like a couple people to watch survivor china but then they dropped off again after that and i felt like nobody was really as into the show as i had really built myself into a fervor into being over the past 15 or so seasons 
And it took a little while before through, I guess, this community and through this podcast, I was able to find a group of people that I could wax profane about Survivor with. Uh, Graduating after college, I tried the actor thing for a while. Uh, I went on tour for six months. I did a bunch of shows, both community and regionally. Uh, I moved to New York in the summer of 2013 with my girlfriend turned fiance turned wife who i also met in college which i realize is also a commonality between all four of us we all married someone that we met in college um but after that i sort of became disillusioned with having it as a career path and instead wanted to make it a hobby so i currently work uh, in higher education in alumni relations which i enjoy but on the side i do a lot of improv in the new york comedy community and i podcast as well and i'm very lucky that i was able to not only work on survivor historians but also do a bunch more podcasting about random reality tv and i i I can't speak enough i say this multiple times to you guys offline but hearing you guys even talk about the survivor historians in the beginning it's still insane to me to think about the fact that i am talking with you guys when you know from 2012 to 2014 i would be listening to you guys while i was driving to my then girlfriend's house or listening to you on a plane as i was flying over to montana to go on a tour it's so surreal i was going to say you buried I'm, I'm sorry i know you're getting sentimental here but you buried the lead that you were touring in montana at the same time i was in montana yeah, it's right? like a, it's like a j right and mario misconnection yeah right. i ended up uh the so paul went to the college that he went to was in the same town where the Children's Theater Company that I toured with was based out of. So I spent a good amount of time there, and there probably was yet another instance where, you know, we could have crossed paths. So, Paul, if you had reached out to me, I think I would have, I think I would have met with you. I, especially if, if you would have been the Paul Oslison from the Survivor Historian. So I would have been starstruck. All right. Now go back to being sentimental. Oh, God. Uh, mood shift. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it honestly has been incredible getting to talk with you guys. And it's been, again, frankly, surreal to talk with you guys after hearing for you for so long and especially mario someone who i've read the funny 115 since you were on myspace uh it's crazy to become one of your temps unfortunately i've not worked my way up to associate yet but (laughs) just being able to chat with you is something that i am still kind of oddly starstruck with every time i hop on the line with you wow i don't know how to respond to that that's cool say thank you jeez (laughs) thank you (laughs) <laughs> all right no that's cool um it's interesting hearing every, every everyone's backstory yeah one of the interesting things about us is that you guys might think we hang out with each other in real life but we don't like paul is the only one who's met the rest of us right you've met everybody I've else met everyone and i've met every i've met two of the three wives well actually three of the four if you count my own wife but i'm working <laughs> on it yeah i've only met paul i was out in uh Indianapolis. My daughter was in a color guard performance a couple years ago in Indy, and I drove up to Chicago. My wife and I wanted to get some deep dish pizza, and I'm like, hey, Paul, we're coming to Chicago. So it was basically the exact opposite of my experience with Jay, when I, where I sought he out He actually Paul. reached out to get me to find <laughs> yeah. me. I skipped, I skipped grad school that night to come uh, get pizza with you. Really? Although I seem to I recall did. mentioning to Jay, hey, you want to come down? Paul and I are down here eating pizza. And I believe Jay's response was something like, eh, I'm busy. Well, now it's warranted. Turnabout is fair play, Mario. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Mike. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I probably was busy. I mean, would you guys mean like a Thursday night, Friday night or something like that? Yeah, it was like a Thursday night. Yeah, Yeah, it was like a Thursday night. Like I, that's rough because it's, that's not like a a, a half an hour, like a 40 minute jaunt down to Chicago. That's a three hour drive. So it's like three hour drive to get pizza and then to go and like, you know, I, I have to be at work at like seven in the morning the next day. I just said, nah, you guys have pizza. That's fine. 
All right. All right. Have we give, given enough backstory? So we've answered one question. It's yeah, been I know, an hour. exactly. We've answered one question. It's been about <laughs> half an hour now. So this is going swimmingly. Typical historians. Yeah. Typical historians. Well, well, let's Jay, let's... you have to point out. You have to point out, Jay. Well, we should keep going, guys. <laughs> so let's let's actually talk about some like actual survivor questions now that people actually know who we are uh, as people. Uh, so let's start with a question from Joshua M. He says, which players are you most surprised distanced themselves from the Survivor community? So even the most recent season we've talked about is like eight years out at this point. Obviously, players are have come back. But is there anyone that you are a little mystified by the fact that for being so much in the limelight for 14 weeks at a time that they really haven't been touched back, either asked back or just haven't interacted with the Survivor community at all? That's a really good question. I have to think about this one for a second. I mean, the first one that comes to mind, I'm thinking about Papa Smurf. He said he was waiting for a little thing called All-Stars 2. Where is it? Where are you, Gary? Well, I don't know if he was a hero nor a villain. Uh, He might have been in the miscellaneous category. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if we're supposed to answer people after... Uh, after China, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure mean, we can we can incorporate all. I just think it's interesting that like we could probably talk about. I'm I'm assuming the old school players are the ones that more so are the interesting mm-hmm. cases because we talk so much about how the players from those first couple seasons were such big celebrities that considering how much they were in the spotlight in the early 2000s, it does it is interesting that a lot of these people sometimes are not as well connected to the community as you once thought, considering that there are other celebrities that were popular in the 80s or 90s that are still somewhat connected today. One person that I want to say, and I'll just bring this up, is uh, T-Bird Cooper. What was interesting is she didn't have much of a connection to the show or online presence for many years after the show. And uh, I just want to say, and then we had the Cambodia vote a while back, and she didn't get on. And I believe the reason she didn't get on is because a lot of people didn't know who she was or didn't remember her. But one of the things that's interesting is ever since then, she has had a, a very visible online presence associated with Survivor. She's always talking about people's blogs. She's always hyping Survivor on her, on her Twitter page and stuff. She is one that just, it seems to me, kind of thought that she would be reinvited back someday. And she was kind of surprised that she wasn't. I guess she thought she was more well-remembered than she actually was. And it looks to me like she's making more of an effort to to change that. So she is one that I was always kind of, again, I was shocked she wasn't voted on in, on Cambodia, but she's one that just kind of jumps out at me as someone who was really popular and very well-liked and very much attached to the show for a long time, and then just all of a sudden she wasn't. And I don't know if that was her choice or if people just kind of forgot about her, but she would be one that jumps out at me. I also think that looking at some of these recent fan favorites that we talked about, and recent is in the seasons that we've covered, I know that... Yao Man occasionally makes posts on Facebook related to Survivor, but, you know, I'm surprised that, like, people haven't grabbed him for more interviews, you know? Or even someone like James Clement, who we're in the middle of, like, his big Survivor tenure right now on Historians, where we're about to dive into Micronesia. And yes, he did have a sour turn in Heroes vs. Villains, but he was still one of the most popular contestants of that era so to have him not comment on survivor nowadays whatsoever is a little surprising to me considering how much america really fell in love with him over the course of like 2008 to 2009 yeah and just by going along those lines stephanie lagrosa is another one that i think it would shock people to realize what a big deal she was in survivor (laughs) because she's she's just not attached to it whatsoever now well right and i was actually just thinking i was thinking about stephanie morrow because and 
and I was just rewatching the Survivor Palau premiere yesterday, actually, with some friends who want to watch some old Survivor. And I was thinking about what a big deal Bobby John was for two seasons. The fact that he came back and was so strong in those back to back seasons was such a big deal. And then nothing after that, like not anything after that. That was one that, that I was just thinking about yesterday. Yeah, it is funny when you realize he was a returnee. <laughs> right. Bobby John. Oh, yeah, I guess he was, huh? I wish that there were some opportunities for survivors that um we sort of have today in the sense that you know i I feel like survivor is a show where we have a pretty good digest around it in the sense that you know rob session you know has created his uh rob as a podcast uh, empire for for lack of a better word Uh, and i think it's a pretty apt word in the sense that he created this sort of reality tv uh, Empire, and I mean, it, he he incorporates more than Survivor. He does Big Brother, and he does. I mean, those those post show recaps are. I mean, it's like how how many how many recaps do you do, Mike? Like forty eight. Like there's a lot, you know. There, there's a lot of different shows, and so, you know. But but with the Survivor part of of Rob as a podcast, you know, there's there's uh, people that have that have become uh, sort of uh, favorite guests over the years, and have become sort of regulars. Uh, in in Rob's flow, but but you know, there's been a lot of coverage of Survivor, and there's we've got Survivor beat writers, the uh, professional ones, uh, Gordon Holmes and stuff like that, and and, and even so, we've got you know they, they have that uh, show that that one show they had that Parvati hosted for a while, and you know there, there's these opportunities now around Survivor that some of these people can sort of cling on to, and I, I'm very I'm very surprised that uh, you mentioned the name, but I think that James Clement would have been somebody that that. I feel like you could put him on TV and he would be interesting no matter what he said. And, you know, he, I, it's very odd to me that he has sort of disappeared, for lack of a better word. Didn't he say he was going to go try to be an actor at some point? I mean, you'd have to put subtitles up on the screen every time he spoke, but, but I guess it could work. Oh, come on now. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm puzzled by that. As far as bringing people back for, for the game, I don't know. I, I think... Survivor tends to kind of screw the pooch when it comes to stuff like that because there are people that I feel like should have been brought back and they weren't. And then they keep bringing people back every once in a while, like way past sort of any sort of usefulness. And then I, I feel like, okay, so they, they did uh, a couple seasons ago from, from where we're talking now, even though we're supposed to make these timeless and I'm totally breaking the rule, but they did that second chances uh, season. You know, where they, I, I always thought that PG was somebody that totally needed to come back and play survivor again well she did and she got blurred off like what third mm-hmm, and yeah. and and the thing is is that i thought pg was just fine and she just sort of got abby maria and that and that that's something that can happen and and i i feel like placement is not necessarily you know it's like oh she voted out there and a lot of people are like yeah so yeah pg's nothing and it's like no nah, she's great she's super great she she should have she tried her best she had a wild card sort of take her out but pg should have been brought back before that season and so it's always very tough with the, these people should be brought back. And then they're like, well, we brought them back and they were nothing. And it's like, well, you should have brought them back before or not at all. Or I don't know. So it's, it's, it's very tough. I'll tell you a name and you guys are probably really going to hate me for this, but I just want to throw it out there. He's been back on Survivor a bajillion times and I get that fact, but you know, he, I feel like he thinks he's too big to, you know, do Survivor coverage, but why Survivor doesn't try to rope Boston Rob into more things is beyond me. Yeah, I agree with you, to be honest. He's such a great, you know, confessional giver and speaker that he it would be really interesting to hear his insights on Survivor. 
Well, I, I also wonder if he's also personally distanced himself from the right. game. I could, I yeah. could almost imagine that productions reached out to him multiple times, but dude has a gaggle of children at this point. He's got his own career that he that he'd like to manage. Plus, you know, he's pretty happy. So I could totally imagine him. As much as production kind of balloons him up as this big magnet of the game, I could totally imagine him sort of stepping away and saying, "Like, I'm I'm sort of done with Survivor for now." Yeah. I could I could see that. I, I I would totally believe that. I, I'm. You know, I, I would believe that they're offering him a blank, not just a blank check, but just a blank, what, what do you want to do short of being on the show and being host? And, and he says, nah, dude, I'm cool. I don't need to do anything. Or the converse is that they've offered him like, oh, we'll offer you this one thing where you be this one beat journalist for this thing that'll appear on tvguide.com real quick or something. And he's like, screw that, dude. I don't want to do that. You know, and and I I I don't know. I I think there's a way to rope Boston Rob into the show, even in a weird way. I, you know, I, quit talking to me about integrity of the game. The show is a shell of what it wants now. They're literally just painting by numbers at this point. Just put Boston, have him be like a roving second host. I don't care. Put him on the show. Make him go in front of the cameras. I just don't want him to play again because whatever, dude. But like, I, I feel like Boston Rob is, for better or for worse, he's sort of a. a an institution of the show as it is now. I feel like you gotta you gotta use him somehow if if he's if he's willing. All right, so let's uh, let's segue out of some Boston Rob talk. God knows he's gonna pop up so many times as he does in any sort of Survivor conversation. Uh, Brian Gold asks us: Is there any topic in the first fifteen seasons you wish that you could all go back and talk about again? And let's put Mike Scoopin off the table uh, with recent events. But, <laughs> now you know, why? I, but Mario, you talked a little bit about how you know you always wanted to go back and talk about Borneo. But I guess speaking about the coverage that we've done thus far of these 15 seasons, is there anything you guys can think of that you'd like to go back and talk about again? Um, again, it's, it's the answer for me is going to be something for Borneo because there's so much going on with that season that people don't seem to know about. I would like to... I would like to talk more about Stacey Stillman uh, and basically how she formed the First Alliance, how she was really the brains behind all the strategy at the start of Borneo, and how it really only fell apart for her because she's unlikable, because Sue basically stabbed her in the back. I mean, Stacey Stillman was this close from being the first Richard, and that's the one thing I would really like to talk more about, is that you hear all this stuff about, you know, oh, Richard was the only one with strategy, no one else knew what they were doing, they were all idiots but him, he was the he was the only one playing the game, which none of that's remotely true. I mean, Richard's a great guy, he was a great player, but there were some really smart people in Borneo all trying to figure out how to carefully navigate this game between strategy and public perception and ethics. I mean, it was a very tricky game, but... Stacy is one I would like to talk about a lot more. She's very significant to the early days of Survivor, and I don't think she ever gets credit for it. I think I think too back to Australia, and I'm I'm sure we did talk about it a ton, but it was so fun to talk about that I feel like there's just even more to be like said about talking about like how big Survivor was, and you know I think now because we're podcasting many seasons later, and just it doesn't have the same like cultural context as it had back then but like every time i go back and watch australia and i watch any of the bonus stuff that comes with it and you just like see how much time was devoted on the early show and on like how it was everywhere i just recently got my friend renee herrera moved um out of his house and he gave me a bunch of his survivor like people magazines all these things from around the time of survivor australia survivor africa and it's like so fun to go back and read that stuff and see like what a huge deal survivor was so that for me has always been something that's been so fun to talk about and i think it's just because we're removed 
from it because um, we're so many seasons down the line. But I think there's so much you can talk about there about what a big deal Survivor was. Paul, I'm interested, since you missed out on podcasting 8 through 11, is there anything from our coverage of those seasons? I don't know. I'm sure you listened countless hours on repeat to all the podcasting that you weren't able to do. (laughs) Right. Just I got to listen to music. I just listened to those those four podcast seasons on on replay. I mean, I I do actually want to go back and, and listen to them because... I, I've always loved Guatemala. That's always been one that I stood up for, one that I always say is like my my favorite kind of secret season that it's not one that everyone goes to. So I think I would like the opportunity just to talk more about Guatemala and the characters in there. And then Palau is just kind of a badass season. I just want to talk about how awesome Karen is and how she's like <laughs> the most underrated survivor character of all time. You had me, then you lost me, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's his. That's Mike's gene. I'm not sure you're aware of that. Oh, I know. Okay, just making sure. I'm not sure how much temp crossover there is there. I mean, just think of yeah, all the times Scout all... Scout fell down and you weren't allowed to talk about it. I know that too. So they all those those are the, you know some great seasons in there that um, I'd love to talk about too. One other thing I would like to talk about more, and again, I don't remember what we talked about in our Borneo podcast, but I would like to talk about kind of the history of reality TV leading into mm. Survivor. And the reason why is I've MTV Classic has been running a lot of marathons of old re- road rules and real world seasons. And I always kind of forgot that those were right before Survivor. So like Survivor gets credit for being the first reality show, but it really wasn't. And it is funny when I'm watching these old road rules and real world episodes, how similar they are in tone to the first season of Survivor. Like Survivor wasn't really inventing a template. It was following the template that MTV was already doing on its shows. So that's something I'm not sure we really talked about that. If you were to watch, like, uh, I was just watching Real World Seattle and then Road Rules 2 the other day, and it's so similar to the first season of Seattle, just the cuts, the edits, the way they use music, just the interview style. It's that Survivor really wasn't inventing anything. It was just kind of copying what already worked. Yeah, and the, I wish we talked about that more. The one thing that I, I would want to talk about, and obviously I have, like, seven seasons of stuff I could talk about, uh, so I wasn't on for that, but... It's so interesting to be a reality TV fan at the time that Survivor seasons were premiering and watching shows subsequently take concepts from Survivor and utilize them and watch them either succeed or fail. I know we haven't talked about it yet in our chronology, but even something like Redemption Island, you saw after Redemption Island premiered on Survivor, and some would argue it was a success or a failure, but after that you saw shows like The Challenge and Top Chef and all these using these structures of, okay, eliminated contestants battle to make their way back into the game. And to have it become like a core concept of a reality show is so interesting, especially for Survivor, which had become very long in the tooth at that point. So I think it would be fun to sort of, you know, you could take a look at Survivor Australia and be like, okay, let's talk about murder in small town X. How does that compare? Does it compare at all? To see, you know, Survivor was left a huge footprint on reality TV in the early 2000s and to just see how that informed programming, especially from rival networks that were trying to make another Survivor-like hit happen for their own channel. Yeah. One more thing I wanted to say is that I had a chapter of this in my book, but it's something I would love to talk about more, which is um, I saw an uh, interview with Mark Burnett a couple of years ago where he talked about the movie The Blair Witch Project and how he said that that was really the template for Survivor. Once that became a hit, he knew that Survivor would make it on the air because it was this exact same concept that they just take a bunch of found footage and craft it into a narrative and make a story out of it. That So he gives full credit to Blair Witch Project, which if people don't know their timeline, Blair Witch 
Witch Project was the like the, one of the biggest movies in the summer of 1999, which is the last summer before Survivor starts taping. So it's funny that Mark Burnett totally gives credit to Blair Witch for being this huge inspiration on Survivor. And if you go in to watch the first season of Survivor, obviously they have that Blair Witch Project challenge right towards the end of the season, which a lot of people laugh at now, like, haha, you know, product placement. But, you know, that's Mark Burnett's loving homage to the, the movie that he gives 100% credit for making it possible for Survivor to be on the air. So that's something I think I would like to talk about more, too. Something that I would maybe want to go back and touch on, and we've done bits and pieces of it, but it would be fun to sort of go back on a whole, and I don't think that our show is necessarily set up to do it well because we go season by season, episode by episode, and we spend nine, ten hours on a, on a season. But it, w- it would be almost the evolution of not just how the show is crafted, but I would I would even pinpoint it on I would talk about the evolution of Jeff Probst as a host. Mm. And you know, we mm. talk about Jeff Probst dick moments and you know, we, we, we give I think I feel like we give Jeff credit when he does something well. Um, you know, some people say we're you know, we, we rag on him a little too much or you know, some people say, Hey, you're not hard on him hard enough on him. But I think that, you know, a, a study on Probst and the evolution of just him throughout the season of Survivor, because he goes, I mean, we've I don't even want to say we've watched Jeff Probst grow up because, I mean, he was in his, what, 30s when the show started. So, or 40s or however, he's ageless, right? Like, is he 900? I don't know how old he's he is. He's a vampire, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But he has he has evolved so much, not not just as a person, but as a host and executive producer and stuff like that. It'd be interesting to just watch the evolution of Jeff. It's funny you bring that up because that's actually segues into something very interesting I think people would like to hear is that just through the funny 115 i end up talking to a lot of survivor editors that's kind of been the latest evolution in who i'm talking to these days that these people love what i write about them that they come in and contact me so i talk to these editors from the show and obviously they sign non-disclosure so i can't really they can't they're not really at large to talk about specific things or specific episodes but i had one editor just recently send a bunch of their notes to me they're like yeah it's funny you read it an episode and you put in your stuff they tell you here's the storyline here's what you want to do and uh so the editor crafts what they think the scene should look like and they sent me a bunch of notes they said this is interesting these are jeff probe's actual notes on my edits what he thinks of them and it was really interesting seeing jeff probe's notes in his own words on what he thinks of survivor and what was fascinating to me is that you know i've been very hard on probst over the years like you know we call him a dick i'd say he doesn't care and stuff but the notes that I saw were fascinating. Like Jeff is like, we have to be very fair to the players. We have to make sure this is presented this way. Make sure you show both sides of this argument. We don't like. We don't want to make a buffoon out of this character. I don't like buffoon moments. I don't like mocking players. Make sure this character, you show their point of view in this argument. Don't make them just look like the bad guy. So it's really interesting to see how much he cares about making sure the truth comes out and that they're fair to the players. So... I have to give Probst a little credit because that kind of opened my eyes to that, and I wasn't aware he was that involved in the shows and the integrity of the players and the edits. So I just have to say that it, the evolution of Jeff Probst is more complicated than I think people would think, and I, I would love to talk about that someday. Well, I think we're also on the precipice of a key moment in the evolution of Jeff Probst when he's a uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't believe he's an, he's an executive producer yet, right? I think he becomes it around like the Token Sheen's Gabon era. Uh, and I feel like once he does that, that's a definitive step in the direction of the Jeff Probst we know now, where I think 
I will say that I think uh, part of the reason why we make fun of Jeff Probst is a little bit of, like, the psychology of the counterculture of, like, oh, let's make fun of this guy that sort of serves as the establishment of the show so we can kind of come off as cool in a way. Um, but, I mean, people make fun of him. They, they call him sexist. They say he spouts out the same catchphrases that, you know, he pumps up the, the seasons that we don't like and shits on the seasons that we do like. But... Like you said before, I, I think we've been very fair to him, and it'll be really interesting to track over the next few seasons if he has a marked tone difference in the way that he approaches the contestants. So he will get a he'll get a notable increase in uh, power of over the story. I mean, Mario just outlined what he currently does and how that will affect how he currently interacts with the players and whether he does that to try to influence the story that he's telling. Yeah. So let's. I know Jay brought up earlier uh, his. Uh, the, the they what they used to be, which I think is probably the uh, the subtitle of the Survivor historian when talking about modern Survivor. But uh, D. Heller had a question that I thought was interesting that I'd like to post to you guys. Do you think the steady increase in strategy scenes at the expense of character scenes is mostly a product of editing, or is it more that these are the bulk of interactions out there on the island nowadays, and people are just tending to behave differently than they did in the early days of reality TV? So. Essentially, I think everyone can say that the early seasons of Survivor were very much based in character building. Now so, now so they're more built in strategy and gameplay. Do you think it's more so at the, the fault of production or the fault of the contestants themselves for thinking more about the game than actually building their personality out there? My gut answer to that is I used to I used to say I've actually changed my opinion on this. I used to say that well this is what the audience wants to see nowadays so the editors and the producers will give them what they want to see. They'll just focus on the strategy scenes because they know that's what people want. But then again it's hard, it's hard to reconcile that in my mind because when all the players were coming out of Cambodia and especially, especially second chances they were all saying, oh, the game is so much different now. It moves so much faster. And Tina, someone whose opinion I, I mean, obviously respect quite a bit, said the same thing in Blood versus Water. When she came out, she's like, the game was insanely fast. It happened so much faster than it used to. So I do think the players just go into that mode much faster now. And again, it's, it's, I think it's unfortunate, but I think that's just what comes with having better players who know the game better than they would have in the old days. I would argue as well that I think the idol has become a huge part of modern survivor so much so that there are seasons where every episode has some sort of mention of the idol whether somebody's searching for it or talking about it or splitting the vote and i feel like including that element of gameplay as a constant definitely takes up a huge share of the storytelling you almost have to dedicate time to it every week so that removes time from characters and i feel like the more twists you throw in and modern survivor is known to throw in more twists even though these middle seasons of survivor are very experimental and I feel like the more time you're dedicated to twists, therefore the more time you have to take away from any sort of character building scene. So I feel like it's sort of a consequence of having to balance things out amidst throwing in a bunch more twists. I don't know what uh, my full answer would be. I mean, I agree in the sense that it, the game is different than it was now. The, the game itself, not not just the television product or anything like that. The game is different because we now have all of this library to build on, right? Um, you know, baseball is, is is a sport that some of us watch and some oh. of us don't watch. But yeah, I know. But like, you know, the sport is is essentially the same. I mean, heaven forbid, forbid they ever change any of their rules ever. 
which is a knock on it. But uh, on the other hand, like a lot of the strategies within the games, like, you know, way back in the days in like the 30s and 40s and stuff like that, you had your starting pitcher and he would just pitch the whole game. And if he got super tired or threw his arm out, like, uh, oh, okay, then he's just throwing grapefruits, you know, and, and, and nowadays you've got people on pitch counts and you have relief pitchers. And not only do you have relief pitchers, but you've got like middle relief pitchers and like, you know, setup men and you have closers and you have like all of these sort of specializations and you've got a lot of stuff going on. Survivor's sort of the sort of same way. It's, it's essentially the same game. You vote people out until somebody wins. But, you know, the number of people that start the game has changed. The number of tribes that have started has changed. The number of people on starting tribes has changed. Um it's not a final two, it's a final three. Like, there are so many different sort of rules. And then you've got hidden immunity idols. There's one, there's two. Maybe there's one, there's two. You can combine idols. There's a vote doubler. There's all these sorts of things that go on there. And and the game has evolved a- as such. And so you can't, just, you can't just run the same thing out there with, oh, let's get 16 people. You just form a majority alliance. You pagong everyone else. And then you sort of get to the end. Like, they had to make twists to the game in order to keep uh, the, the people on their toes. And because of that, you have to keep going and keep going and keep going. And they, you know, decided that, hey, these whoa moments with twists were, were kind of good. And they go. And, and I get it. I get the, the evolution of the game. My problem is, is that I feel like, you know, there's the majority of people who watch the show. And then there are people that enjoy the strategy part of the show. There are people that don't enjoy the strategy part of the show. I think that strategy is a big part of the show and, and, the, and the part that they want to package. My issue is not so much just the strategy scenes it's the fact that like now in current seasons of survivor they've got secret scenes and all of this bonus content that you have to watch you can't just watch the 43 minutes of the episode every every season you know and and one of my good friends sarah freeman she's all about the secret scenes and she's like you didn't watch the secret scene jay where this stuff happened and blah blah and i'm sitting there going like i shouldn't have to i should be able to watch the episode of survivor and whatever story they're trying to tell me, that's what I need to follow. And if, oh, well, they're not telling you everything because they re- they revealed this one thing that these two people actually like each other in a secret scene or a bonus scene. And I'm sitting there going like, that's cheating. And so that's more of the 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 modern thing that, that really bugs me. But to answer the full question, I... I I think that ultimately the game the game has evolved, and I feel like they're trying to show the the more the com- the complexity that the game is now, and I have zero issues with that because the game is fundamentally I mean it's fundamentally the same, but yet it is fundamentally different than it once was, and that's that's something to be celebrated. But how they're editing the show, I'm not saying the editors are doing a poor job, but how how they're packaging the show these days is what irks me. That's actually very well said. I've I've never watched a secret scene in my life, so I'm not really aware that there is even that thing that you had to watch them to follow the show anymore. That's news to me. Well, they've got like they've got like two things. Like every episode, they've got like two or three secret scenes that they release on like CBS.com or YouTube or, or somewhere where you can watch. I don't know where. I, I I I honestly don't know where. But then they also once the jury starts, they've got those Ponderosa videos. I actually do watch those from time to time. I don't wait for them and i can't say that i diligently watch them because sometimes i don't if i remember then i'm then i'll watch one but they've got like the people going to ponderosa where you see them initially getting voted out their reaction they they usually see them like weighing themselves seeing themselves in the mirror for the first time and then going to the little bar restaurant sort of hangouty rec room area where ponderosa is where they you know meet the other people and then you can see if like people give them a hug or if people 
are frosty toward them or they, they start hashing out like issues that maybe they had on the island or something like that. And that's all well and good and fun. But like, yeah, that's the way Survivor is now. It's that, oh, there's the episode, but now there's like 30 minutes of bonus content that you have to watch along with the episode. And to me, that's not better. That's worse. And there are yeah, al- a- also like yeah. two different types of secret scenes as well, where there will actually be legitimate secret scenes. Like they are fully packaged. There's lower thirds, there's music playing, and it's clear that like they were just cut for time. But every week they also do like five to six just bare bones confessionals that were clearly just not good enough to be put on the main show where it's no it's confessionals where the contestant is talking without music and maybe they're just describing what the challenge was it gives a slight amount of insight and i mean this also parlays to a, an interesting situation that happens when covering modern survivor as well which is there's just so much freaking content out there that sometimes when you go on and i mean paul and jay you're on a podcast that every week talks about modern survivor the most recent episode sometimes it's tough to just keep up with everything to the point of where you can make a point and then someone will tweet you and say, well, actually, let me refer you to this point that came up in this exit interview that completely refutes the point that you made. It's The internet has gotten to a point, and the internet survivor culture has gotten to a point where you know there is so much out there that to really be the most well-informed survivor podcaster out there, you have to pour through countless numbers of articles, interviews, and podcasts to get the full story. Hmm, that's interesting. Actually, that does uh, lead me to an interesting question. If they had had advantages in the game back then, or, or you, like where you could double your votes or you get an extra advantage in the final immunity challenge, Paul, do you think you could have beaten your younger brother in Survivor if you'd had an advantage? Uh, he probably still would have won because he was more ruthless than I was. I thought I was like cutthroat enough, but <laughs> I wasn't. All right. Yeah. I just had to go back to that because I love that story so much. Paul would have screwed over yeah. the vote doubler. <laughs> <laughs> Paul doesn't know basic math. It, it, it makes it tough. I, I think that you're right, Mike, in the, in the sense that I felt like with the 43-minute episode and the way it was presented, we could digest that. And not only could we digest that, but you know, then, then uh, we have uh, articles, we have blogs, and we have the wonderful uh, litany of podcasts that we have out there. Most notably, of course, uh, Rob Sestronino's podcast, which is super good in the sense that you know they, they do an immediate reaction one, and and then they do one later in the week where you've had a few days to sort of digest and get some questions in. It's really, really well done. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is that sometimes that flow gets interrupted because, the, oh, well, you got to release these secret videos and blah, blah. And so you're, you know, you have these really insightful gut punch reactions to what you just watched on the TV, but it gets refuted literally a couple days later because, hey, in a, in a confessional that didn't air on the episode, but yet is up on the website, you know, you learn some other point and it, it just, it, it's it's not like it makes everyone illegitimate or something like that, but it's just it makes it very hard to kind of parse through all the content that's given. So it's like, so what's important? Is the episode on Wednesday important, or do we need to watch the episode on Wednesday and then watch like two more days of of content? And then we can talk about it. Like, it just sort of makes it very weird, I guess. And another factor that's added on are the fact that a lot of these contestants are on social media. And depending on the season, they might be contracted to not talk about it or only talk about it in limited constrictions. But the fact that you'll have contestants on there now saying, like, okay, this, that's not how this actually happened. Or here's some more stuff that happened. It only adds to the swirling maelstrom of Survivor content that's really tough to sort of digest week after week. Hmm, that's interesting. 
Yeah, see, I don't follow. I'm not really a part of that world. I don't follow all that stuff. But that's that sounds like it would drive you absolutely insane if you tried to do a weekly podcast now. Well, and I think that Mike brings up an excellent point, which is that I think that a lot of the contestants, especially on social media, are trying to reconcile sort of what we have talked about on Survivor Historians for for season after season after season, which is there's the game that's happening out there on the island, and then there is the television product that all of us are watching at home. And those two aren't necessarily the same, right? Yeah. Like, we're, we're watching them play a game, but we're watching a heavily edited version where we don't get the whole truth. And, you know, these are 16 to 20 people that are out there crafting their own narrative and weaving their own way through this web of a social game and the game and and the the producers and the editors are showing us sort of not one path but they're showing us kind of one story that's got all these sort of different things intertwined and that's that's not necessarily what's happening in real life and so what's tough is that there are people and I think I'm in the camp and I think Mario's also in the camp where it's you can't we can't know what's going out there on the island we're not out there yeah we don't know and i and and to me i would even argue that the people out there on the island even though they know better than me they don't know quite everything too because they're not omniscient out there they only know their own point of view on certain things but the problem is is that i think that a lot of people try to clamor and i think what a lot of the secret scenes do is you know there's a lot of people again my my blogging friend sarah freeman she she's less interested into what the product is on the television, she wants to know actually what's going on out there on the island at all times, you know, with the contestants. And that's sort of where the social media aspect, a lot of that comes in, where the, the contestants are like, no, that's not what went down. It was going like this and blah, blah. And it's like, the answer is, you you might not have been remembering right, which which could be true, or you are remembering right and you are exactly right, but yet is that relevant to the product that is on the television screen right now, which mm-hmm. may or may not be, it may be yes, it may be no, I don't know. It, it's all just so weirdly complicated because we're watching this heavily edited version of a game that's on TV, so it just everything just gets way too complicated and I feel like by having all of this extra stuff and the way that you view it, it just makes it even tougher where it's like you know in the olden days they were just like nope it's it's this episode and everything else may have happened or whatever but this is what we're showing you yeah and a lot of modern survivor fans not may not realize that the players didn't always have social media access where they could explain their side of the situation like that's a relatively recent phenomenon like first nine ten i don't even know how many seasons like the players would just flat out say i'm not allowed to talk about this current season I mean, so it's a, it's relatively recent that players can talk about the season and dispute the edit as it's airing. Yeah, and again, CBS is sort of like, they tried to hold it back, I think, during Sam Del Sor. They tried to make them not tweet, but now, like, because obviously you might be able to really look down the wormhole of, okay, the tone behind this tweet, what does that allude to during their, you know, their longevity throughout the game? Uh, and there obviously is the propensity for people to spoil, as, you know, Russell's saga that I'm sure, I'm sure we'll get to at some point will allude to. But, yeah, having contestants out there as well interacting, it's fun, I'll admit, I, I have fun you know, following and talking with current and past survivors, but it definitely has an interesting impact on the week-to-week digestion. Jay, feel free to put on Dota for the next, like, five minutes, because I'm, I'm about to ask a fanfiction-based question. Uh, so I'm just, this is your, your well-worn. You can't put Dota on for five minutes, dude! <laughs> so Ryan Gomez wanted to know, for you, Mario, who you think from the Vanuatu to China era you would want to write a fanfiction about? 
Oh my god. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll just say I mean, I don't want to get too much into it cuz I know Jay's going to start cutting. But um the, the my general rule is people who would be fun to write about are the ones that are complicated and have complicated story arcs. So I'm just naming people right off the top of my head who had complicated stories. Ian in uh, Palau. I'm trying to think. Uh, I think Stephanie has a very complicated arc in both Palau and Guatemala. I'm trying to think who else was complicated. Um, dreams, dr- dreams, right off the top of my head. Yeah, dreams is a fantastic one. Uh, let's see, in China, who had a complicated uh, edit in China? I think Courtney was probably very com- more complicated than people give her credit for. So those are the ones that jump out at me. Ian's, the dreams, those people that just they're all over the place, and it, it's hard to define them by like one sentence. All right, so, so, so sort of like segueing into that, we had a question from, and I'm gonna butcher this name, uh, Fox Del Laurier. Uh, asked, uh, the last few seasons had a lot of quote-unquote tragic figures like Twyla, Ian, and Dreams, characters that have a layer of nuance others often don't. Are there any other players that we can think that kind of fall into that category? And I would add on top of that, why do you think those characters no longer exist in Modern Survivor? Or, or do they? Are there a couple people that you can think of right off the bat that fit that mold? Uh, one thing, I just before we answer this question, is the, going back to when I talked to the editors and the way the show is edited these days, is they, they told me flat out that it's very important to explain to the audience why the winner won. And a lot of fans have kind of said, yeah, it seems like the editing tone has changed, where it's just flat out the winner's story, that's all it is anymore. And the editors that I've talked to have admitted that that is very much a tone, a shift in survivor policy, that they don't want to, they don't like nuance, because they just want to show you this is why this person won. So the nuance and the tragic downfall of complicated characters is not really that much of a priority anymore. I guess you buried that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but there's a second part to that. Who are some in this era that you might think? So I'm trying to think of those. Um, Let's see. Tragic figures. I mean, I guess you could look at... There is this sort of weird thing where the older women in the modern seasons, people like Dawn or Monica Culpepper or Lisa Welchel, who had a very rocky point in the game and might have been looked upon as the motherly figure and then they get to the end and kind of get buried which is sort of like the commonality between people like twyla and ian and dream so maybe i might want to lump them in with those three yeah i mean yeah, james but... james is another one who i thought had a particularly sad survivor tale most of the time i don't know i think you're that's a good question there. though yeah i think you're honest something there in the sense that i, I think that I mean, something I would like to ask the editors and Mario, since you're, you know, best friends with all of them now, maybe, you know, <laughs> you could get yeah. them up on the on the editor phone or the Mario phone or, or however that works. But it's more along the lines of not only showing how the winner won, but I think that, you know, with a final three and, and, and with the way most final threes have go, and you, you could check my math on this, but most of the final threes that we've had, not all, but most, you would say that there has been one person that has not gotten any votes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it, it's usually split between uh, two people in the final three, and that's usually what they focus on. And so, I feel like the editing choices and and the story that's told it's 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 sort of twofold. It's it's a story of why the winner won, and it's also a story of why this other person doesn't win. Um, and so, I think that a lot of the characters that you just sort of mentioned, Lisa Welchel in Philippines. And Dawn in Karamoan and Monica Culpepper in the in uh, the first Blood versus Water, um, Aubrey in um, God whatever season that was. Oh, You're a historian. 
Well, that one just happened, so it's not really history. Um, <laughs> in Korong, you know, a lot of the the characters sort of they they, they tragically finish out, I guess, and, and 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 don't win. That also becomes a very strong story as well. And so I, I wouldn't, I, I don't know if tragic is the right word, but they they become sort of our complicated characters. Uh, as it goes on, because very rarely is the winner like super duper complicated, but they can sort of make that loser character uh, as complex as they want to. And I think that's yeah. sort of how they what they mm-hmm. do these days. And I will throw in it's kind of unfair to compare someone to Ian since he's like maybe the greatest survivor storyline ever. <laughs> so it's hard to say why don't they have any more Ian's? Like, well, there's never been another Ian except maybe dreams. Oh, that's actually an interesting segue. So you talked about Ian might be the best storyline. Uh, Jordan Beck asked us, what was the worst storyline of the first seven seasons? So let's go pre-All-Stars when things were, again, a little more character-based. Is there one storyline that really sticks out to you as something that just did not work? I'm glad they didn't include All-Stars since pretty much the top ten are all from All-Stars. Yeah, I think we were we could have copped out with like post All Star seasons as well. But, like, when they were looking for the idol or when they were on Exile Island... <laughs> Yeah, my answer to this one is is pretty easy, and that's the the Jenna uh, Maraska win in Amazon. And it's just that whole season is just so weirdly edited that they don't really tell it in the way that they told uh, storylines back then. And and I've always argued that it's because that was the first season that was spoiled. Everyone knew that Jenna beats Matthew in the final two before the first episode even aired. So it's like the editors purposely told this odd story where Matthew was like a sympathetic hero underdog and had a chance to win, and Jenna was disliked, and she was a mean girl, which none of those were even remotely true when you get to the end and she stomps him in the final vote. So I think that's the worst told storyline. I don't think Jenna Maraska, I don't think they treated her with respect the way they told her story. I don't know if that's that's the definition of what he means by worst storyline. Yeah, I mean, I I know you talked about this in your book, Mario, but I don't know if this is a storyline, but like the weird one of the weirder moments for me in the first seven seasons in terms of storytelling was after Mike's evacuation in Australia when you have the Cooches oh. coming together in that silhouette and the sunset. They're like, we're going to win it for Mike. And then that proceeds to not happen whatsoever over the course of the next seven episodes. It's so strange to me, and that's probably more of a consequence of like the the episode to episode editing rather than an overall arc in terms of editing. Because mm-hmm. I feel like it had you know you had you had a team of editors working on that one season together, and they say, okay, these people aren't going to win. I don't know if they would have included that scene still to finish out the episode. Yeah, that's actually a really good answer. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, that's that's just very unsatisfying storytelling. <laughs> Um, another one that comes up is the end of uh, Thailand when Brian wins. I mean, there's all that stuff going on in the final tribal council about how Brian was spreading racist rumors about Clay, about how Brian didn't want two black winners in a row, how he told Ken that. And, and it's weird because they kind of allude to it in the episode, but they don't spell it out real, really well. So it's, 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 it's a very unsatisfying storyline as well, where you don't really realize why Brian won, why the producers hated Brian, why he was such a creepy scumbag. Just all this weird stuff going on, but it's not really in the episode. You have to read between the lines. So that's another one I don't think was told all that well. Of course, I'll bring up something related to Zoe uh, for this one. But <laughs> I've always like it's so weird that at the um, at the great um, fall of John Carroll in that second episode after the merge that Zoe votes John out at Tribal Council. That's never explained exactly what happened there, and then. <laughs> 
we move into that really awesome scene with Zoe and Tammy talking, and Tammy goes to tell her, like, hey, I'm glad we were, we're in an alliance for a while. And Zoe tells her that she didn't dig her eyes, her whole presentation, <laughs> and that whole thing happens. I wonder, like, what exactly happened with Zoe there, that whole thing? I just feel like that story. And the more Zoe, the better. <laughs> we need some Zoe secret scenes, some secret yeah. scenes. <laughs> I would pay so much money for that. I would go even and i think we talked about this on the podcast but uh i would go back to the australian outback and i would flesh out the relationship between colby and tina more yeah mm. you know because i felt like that was a weird blind side that you know and and survivor's got a unique set of editing and especially in episode two and or in season two and stuff like that and i'm not going to knock on it but uh, I'm going to bring up another television show again, and I'm not saying that Survivor needs to do this, but it's just it's just sort of an alternative. The, uh, Mike knows and and about this. There's there's a uh, a South Korean game show uh, called The Genius that has been out, and I'm not saying it's better than Survivor or this that. It's it's its own unique product. If uh, you're interested, watch it. It's it's a it's a fun ride. But they do some things on that show, uh, editing wise that are very fun and and unlike survivor which is they're always constantly on the island they're always constantly playing the game so there's never really a break the way the genius works is that it's a week by week competition they go there they play a game for what seems like several hours in a day like a seven eight hours or whatever and then they go home for the week and then they come back and so they have like sort of this break this time to recharge and and before they attack a new game or a new segment but like they they do some things with an editing where like they'll introduce a game and then you'll see people sort of like oh i think we're gonna do this and and they sort of break up into teams and then they will jump cut and they'll show you like this black screen and then it will say four hours later and then it will have this scene and the game is basically over and you could see the these people that were so confident you could see them like losing and they're like how on earth did we lose and then it'll jump back to where you just were and so it's like they're telling you what's going to happen in the future but then they sort of get you back so then you can sort of enjoy the ride and see how things break out. Or the other thing that they do, editing-wise, is they this game will come up and then they'll sort of break up into two camps of people. And then you follow one camp of people like through the whole game. And they're, you see them talking their strategy and they're very confident and they're going through the game and then they lose. And then what what they'll do then is they'll basically like, jump cut all the way back to the beginning and then they'll follow the other team all the way through and you can see what they did it's just different editing techniques and i feel like with colby and tina they they tried to sort of they they played other aspects up sort of post-merge they talked about you know colby and jerry and and their sort of thing and you know there was a lot of tension with keith and then at the end colby and tina are like yeah we've been best friends for the longest time it's like it would have been nice to have seen it yeah you know it's great there's no, you know, they, they reveal it at the end, but I feel like there's no there's no energy behind that reveal, partially because they were all kind of dead at the end of uh, Survivor Australia. But mm-hmm. by the same token, you know, they, they didn't ever allude to it very much, if at all, because they were sort of hiding Tina and they sort of hid the Tina-Colby uh, uh, sort of relationship. And it just, it sort of frustrates me as a viewer because it's like, okay, I get the fact that Colby and, uh, and Tina were super tight and they were uh, a team going all the way through but it would have been nice to have seen it or seen allusions to it or or maybe there could have been different editing techniques that showed us that but they just chose not to and i feel like it's a wasted opportunity it's the only season that has a scooby-doo reveal at the end <laughs> zoinks old man bingham <laughs> yeah 
Um, so talking more about our coverage of these seasons, uh, Shiyun and Chida asked, which season has improved in your standing and which has not? So I guess in going through these seasons as methodically as we have, and I think you guys have answered this question before, but now that we've expanded to the first 15 seasons, which season could you pick out as the one that has improved in your vision the most and which has probably either stayed the same or maybe even fallen on a rewatch? Um, I'm going to get in a fight with Paul real quick here that I think Guatemala is a completely failure, failure of a season. I think it, it just flops. In every, I think it flops in every possible way they could have told a story. So Guatemala is one I've lost pretty much all respect for over the years. And I have to say when we were watching Palau, like that's the only season that almost kind of brought me to tears because of how beautiful and perfect it is towards the ending. Like, that one really jumped up in my standings when I watched it for historians. I'm like, Palau is one of my top ten seasons now. I just love the last couple episodes. They're as good as Survivor has ever been, in my opinion. Wow. Well, I haven't listened to your uh, podcast about Guatemala, so I don't know if uh, – I I can't throw anything back at you. But for (laughs) me, I think, like, just generally a season that I used to, like, hate on so much was Survivor um, Panama, Exile Island. And just, like, the more times I watch it, the more fun I have with it. And then obviously having the four of us talk about it and all the funny we pulled out of it, I think that's one that just has gotten better and better for me. The one that's gotten worse for me has to be Cook Islands because right. I didn't have that big of a problem with Cook Islands until all of you guys showed me so how we horrible tore it was. So the shit you. out of it. <laughs> thank you, thank you for ruining a season that I liked. That's what we're <laughs> here know, for. I was gonna say that the Renee Siler, all the inside info, actually kind of made me appreciate Cook Islands a little bit towards the end, even uh, though I still think it's terrible. I'm, but. I'm definitely with oh, Paul Renee. there. That Cook Islands, I definitely. I mean, I was never huge on it from a rewatch perspective because that's definitely one of the seasons where we. We'd spent some time on it where once you know the events ahead of time, there's not that much character stuff in between to sort of help satisfy your appetite when you already know what the outcome is and you know that the I-24 are going to make it through. For me, and I've talked about this on the podcast with both these seasons, but both Vanuatu and Fiji have increased substantially in my eyes. Uh, Vanuatu especially came to became like a top 10 season just you know, as someone who admittedly did not like Chris at the time for beating out the girls and winning at the end, to see him play the game and even seeing just all the great character stuff that came from people that I didn't remember, like Twyla and Scout as necessarily big characters, I had a really great time with it. And of course, the cherry on the top of the, t- the cake was talking to the man himself and having him kind of remember my name. Uh, was was really a crowning achievement of my Survivor podcasting career. Speak for yourself. I was other guy. I know. I was just going to say that's my favorite moment of the Chris interview where Chris says, all right, I got Mario. Other guys, what's your opinion? And Jay's like, other guy? I just always remember that moment. It's so awkward. Well, yeah. I, I To be honest, I, I sort of expected that, and, and that's fine. Um, uh, Mike, did you have more about uh, seasons and stuff like that? No, man. The floor's all yours. Floor's mine. Paul, do you want to go? Nope. Okay. Cool. Um, seasons that have increased, in my opinion, I don't know. I feel like my, my opinions have been pretty static. I guess, you know, this. I guess this is blasphemy, but I think that with a lot of the early seasons, I sort of regarded uh, Survivor Africa as a bit of a... Um, of a downer for me, not that I hated on the season, but I sort of regarded it less than others and sort of going back with it. It was, it's a very beautiful season in, 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 in its own way. I mean, you know, a lot of it is there's, there's a lot of aesthetically gorgeous things about it. And then there's a lot of aesthetically plain things about it. Um, I really liked China, but at the same time, I felt like it was a little disappointing on a rewatch. It was still very, very good. And I loved it very, very much, but 
I think that I sort of held it in this uh, echelon where I didn't think it could be touched. And when I rewatched it, I still loved it and still think it's a, a, a top-notch season. But I could see that there are some things that, that are slightly wrong with it. Yeah, I was just, I'll expand on my answer a little bit just since he mentioned China that, you know, I've been Mr. Grumpy over the years that I would say, yeah, Survivor sucked after All-Stars. It was only good for the first seven seasons. But I will admit that going through historians and watching these with you guys and just going over the finer details, I like almost all the first 15 seasons now. I mean, All-Stars obviously can rot in hell. I hate All-Stars, but that's like a, an outlier. Guatemala, I don't hate. I just don't think it, it succeeded. And the real, and in, in the end of the day, it's really because, you know, they have Stephanie, one of the most beloved characters in Survivor history, who's all of a sudden their big villain. And then they have Danny, their winner, purposefully hiding all her confessionals, not just her strategies. Like, she just wouldn't tell the producers what she was going to do. So it just doesn't work for me as a TV product. It, I find it disappointing. I don't hate it, but it's it's the only season I think that really fails. And then, well, I guess there's Cook Islands, but that's a whole different thing. But, like, I really like Fiji now. I really like China now. I even like Exile Island, and I used to be like Paul. I used to not like that season at all because it was so gimmicky. But now I really appreciate it, and Palau I love now. So, like, yeah, I, I, the historians has really made me appreciate 12 out of the first 15 seasons, which is a lot more than you'd expect from someone who's known for being a grump. Yeah, pretty good success rate. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. And one of them's All-Stars, which was not destined to ever be good. So let's just say 12 out of the 14 seasons are pretty good. <laughs> uh, so Shifra Yehudis asked us, what is your favorite character building scene from the first 15 seasons? And obviously there are a lot of them, but is there one that really sticks out to you that isn't necessarily gameplay focused, just building out a personality that really sticks out in your head as one of the great Survivor scenes? Oh, gosh. I mean, there's so many. I don't even. Yeah. Just, I mean, I just got, one. I, I could throw. Out, I, I was gonna say I could throw out a couple while you guys are thinking. Um, I mean, this is recent, but for some reason, I love Denise going to the the martial arts reward in Survivor China and showing off her karate skills. Just because I guess some of my favorite Survivor moments are where characters do completely unexpected things that you would not really think of them able to do at all with their, from their home lives, considering she just seems like a very mild-mannered, quiet lunch lady from Massachusetts. To find out that she's a black belt in karate is really weird and kind of fantastic at the same time, and especially when she demonstrates with the kids, I think is really sweet. And going back to Survivor Marquesis, I love the whole saga of Sean and Pascal going on the reward together. Just the mixing between the two of them to have them actually end up winning the reward and the entire feast ball breaking and it all on top of it, I think is a, is a fantastic survivor scene. It really reminds me what I love about those early seasons. One that just jumps into my head because we watched it recently is right at the end of Fiji. It's the scene where dreams is supposed to give up his immunity to Yao man. I found the lemon tree. Yao man. And he doesn't do it. And dreams is all conflicted. And you can see he's, it's tearing him up because he knows he's supposed to, but he doesn't want to because he needs that money. And then Yao man gets voted out. And then at the end of the episode, Dreams is so ashamed of himself that he puts the immunity necklace down on his seat at Tribal Council. He just leaves it there. And the editors zoom in on it because it's such a poignant little scene that Dreams is so ashamed to wear this. He's not even wearing it anymore. He just leaves it. And that's a little that's just a perfect little character moment that I've I really appreciated when we watched Fiji. It just jumps out at me as something that that it's just a one powerful little image. Paul? Oh, I know. I'm trying to pick which one because, like, I'm uh, going through thinking of of ones that pop out of my mind. Like, I love, like, I 
I, you know, I gravitate towards some of the wackier characters and like the funnier things. So I think about like a great scene is um is the character scenes they give us of Linda Spencer in Africa of her like trying to give Lindsay a hug and Lindsay just being <laughs> a bitch about it and like Linda's going crazy and stuff and like I just love like wacky scenes like that where we get to see how wacky a character is like Lydia doing the pancake dance and stuff like that. Like I just love seeing the wacky sides of people. I really enjoyed. Um, there, there's lots of little things. I think I think it's um there were times especially in very early uh, uh, seasons of Survivor where they had like this odd sort of clairvoyant slash sappy sort of character building moment that was sort of came out of nowhere. And, and a lot of times it sort of uh, came before someone was going to exit or something like that. Um, the one that really sticks out in my mind is the Rob Zabachnik in the cave. Mm. You know, and, and like, it's it's this, like, oddly sweet and touching scene, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I think we, we talked about it a bit, but it, I remember when I watched Thailand the first time, it, I, it, it didn't really stick with me. And, you know, that stuck with me this time. I thought that the, the when they were, when Aaron's going to get voted out of, of uh, the tribal council where uh, the old soup guys are sort of getting together for the for the last time and sort of commiserating. It's just this weird, touching, sort of sweet moment that you know they they didn't resonate with me the first time, but they sort of did the last the 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 second time through. One thing I wanted to add is a follow up on my dreams thing is that it's interesting that I, I gravitate towards the sad scenes where you feel bad for a character, and it's it's kind of been my thing over the years. I like to I always say I like to stick up for the little guy. I like to support and and build up the characters that tend to get pummeled by the fan base and that's why i've always built up you know uh chris doherty he wasn't popular at the time i love building up uh uh dreams he was not popular on the on the current version of the funny 115 i'm building up Nayanka, dan foley cochran people that i think have been pummeled a lot on the fan boards but there's one moment that i just immediately think of in africa and it's this is with silas another guy who gets pummeled a lot on the message boards and i always like the moments where they try to humanize him and there's a great scene in Africa where, you know, the twist has happened. Silas goes over to Baran with, uh, was it, uh, who did he go with? Like, um, Frank and T-Bird. Frank and T-Bird, yeah. So all the Barons, you know, they've thrown the challenge, and they're all sitting around the campfire laughing about how Silas was, you know, the king of the king of the jungle over there. He was running the show, how he was taking a knee. And there's a shot of all the Barons sitting around the campfire telling stories about Silas and laughing at him. And they, sh- and they pan out, and in the foreground, there's Silas standing all by himself with his head down, like, fiddling with his torch. And you can tell he's listening to it, and he's all alone. And it's just the saddest moment. And it's one of those things I always point out with silas that, that when i'm like i said sticking up for the little guy that you know there's a that's a re- silas has a really co- interesting storyline if you look at it and that's one little character moment that i i appreciated that the editors gave him so jay you brought up the the aaron boot from thailand and i feel like that's going to probably be an answer to this next question which i think features a nice segue russ bartlett asked us what are the most underrated survivor episodes from the seasons you've covered i know mario you're a big person who sticks up for the Aaron episode and how I would assume that this might be your answer for the most underrated episode that we've covered so far. Yeah, and the only reason is because nobody ever seems to love that episode. That one is constantly pointed out as the worst Survivor episode because I think there's an immunity challenge and then there's like 30 minutes of nothing until they vote Aaron out at the end of Thailand. And it's just really sad scene of all the Sukjais saying goodbye to Aaron. They're so tight. They've stuck up against the Chewy Gons. They've been together and then they have to vote out one of their own. So that's one that always stands out to me that people seem to hate that episode because there's no action in it. And I love it because it's all just drama and emotion. 
I'll pick one for Fanawatu just because I didn't get a chance to podcast about it. But I know that a lot of people um, kind of harp on the early early episodes of Survivor Vanuatu that kind of takes a while for it to get going and be interesting. But I've always been someone who really loved the second episode of Survivor Vanuatu with the dolly boot and everything. So um, that's always just been one that I've gravitated towards. It's really an exciting second episode of Survivor. You're a fan of Rory yelling, Lopevi! <laughs> yeah, huge uh, Rory fan. Huge. You are messing me up. That's classless. Uh, I miss that. It's been a good. It's been a good number of years since we've done a Rory impression on the podcast. <laughs> I know. Um, I would say that any episode from like that stretch of episodes six to ten in Survivor Fiji, which I think we all covered in the second part of our Fiji podcast. Again, I'm not the biggest fan of the Anthony Rocky stuff, but it's at least interesting to watch, I guess, from a sociological perspective. But. I had, again, forgotten how, amidst all the negativity that might have surrounded that season, there is some insane shit that happens over the course of those five episodes. Especially if you watch them as sort of an arc of dreams getting in an alliance and dismantling it from the ground up, essentially. Uh, I think is so much fun to watch over the course of five hours. Jay? Oh, me. Um, This one might even be properly rated. I don't know, but... And this is going to be weird coming from me with the with the hate I have for the season. But I got to tell you, the episode in Survivor All-Stars where Jenna Maraska leaves is actually a really good episode. Mm-hmm. And I think that people talk about it. And, and it's not even just the, the Jenna leaving. I think they handle that really well. But that's that's the mixer one, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, no, it's yeah. The, it's the, no, no, it's the, no, it's the shelter one. Oh, it's the shelter one. Mixer is episode four. It's, it's, it, well, those two episodes, I think, like, like I, the shelter one, I think is 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 really good. But I, I just think that the episode, it's very, it's it's got a very good arc all the way through it. And then following up that, yeah, it's the it's the mixer one afterwards, where Jeff's gonna try to cheer them all up with the mixer. <laughs> is this an excuse so, for you to talk about Rafa some more? Yeah, no, I'm not gonna <laughs> no, talk. About no, Rafa no, no, I'm gonna give you an excuse to because we have a question from Charlie Rippa that does d- just that. He asks, who is your favorite person that has been on the show but isn't a player or Jeff? So basically, who's your favorite NPC from the first 15 Survivor seasons? And why is it Rafa? Yeah. I mean, there have to be some others up there, right? You have to have Corazon. She has to be at least in contention. Sure. Cece Heideck. That's a good one. Oh, I love Greg Buis' sister. (laughs) Yeah, she's good. I love Corazon. I think she has to be my favorite one for sure. I Wait, love who is, it. Who is that? I don't even know who that the is. The Panamanian shopkeeper who wanted to oh, take Oh, the one who called her Corazon. Yeah, okay. Corazon, which means oh, her. Um, NPC. So we're thinking mostly loved ones here or uh, like Tata the Bushman, stuff like that. Da. Da's a good one. Da, yeah. The Red Berets who come in the middle of Gandhi at <laughs> Grindgate and they have no idea what the fuck's going oh, on. That's great. I, I, I want to cheat because I feel like, honestly, though, the best NPC we haven't gotten to yet. Who's that? Reed. <laughs> Come on, Reed. <laughs> well, I just I just wrote an entry in the Funny One Fifteen about Cochran's dad, who cracked me up. That's the one where he's even nerdier than Cochran. Reed. Yeah, <laughs> Reed, Reed is fantastic. Any any uh, any? Should we put any nominations in for any animals like Magilla from Survivor Thailand? There's we're not getting to like Mark the Chicken levels yet, but I, I feel like there are the monitor lizards from Survivor Borneo. <laughs> Uh, which is the season that has the crabs that are always waving to each other? The two blue crabs. Oh, God. What is that one? Paul, it's one of the later seasons. Paul, you know, like, Ooh, I roll even... better than I do. And I don't even know. All right. It's one of my Funny 115 seasons. It's somewhere in, in 22 through 30, but I don't remember which season. 
I'm sure we'll have hundreds of people emailing us right now, furious that we don't remember this. Okay, there's got to be some more NPCs we're not remembering here. Let's see. I mean, we're. I feel like Lisa Welchel's brother might be in there just because of the mess that she became when he was there and how he called her sister very <laughs> creepily. Uh, yes. That's that's one recent one that I can think of. Did we say uh, Colby's mom? Colby's mom. <laughs> Colby's whole family, basically. Yeah. Oh, I, I would be remiss if I did not mention Thunder D at this point. That's true. Or how about uh, Dara's possible blind date or maybe boyfriend? <laughs> we're not sure at this point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's got to be a couple more. Who are we? Gonna, everyone. Well, a lot of people mention Chris's wife, Lori Doherty, who basically wins him the season through the sympathy during the family visit because they don't vote him out because they feel bad for Lori. Uh, what about uh, Terry's wife that he fucks in the Panamanian? <laughs> oh, she's horrible. <laughs> what or about Jenna or, Lewis's cheating brother? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Good too. Or uh, or Shane's son. Boston. Everyone loves Boston. Um, if we're counting inanimate objects, are we counting the, the crap that Bruce couldn't take? <laughs> well, well, it is organic, so sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the immunity Willard has got to be in there. Mm-hmm. If we're going the to coconut objects. shell painted I.I., the first ever fake immunity idol. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, Cindy's twin sister, Mindy? <laughs> Mindy talks yeah. about playing wilderness people. Oh, and uh, don't remember, don't forget, in, in Survivor Montana, we have Darren Oselson, Paul's third grade brother. Oh, he was a great, he was a snake, even though I wiped him out onto the, <laughs> the grass. <laughs> I you body checked him during the block puzzle. <laughs> oh, man, I gotta find that. I gotta find that. Oh, boy. It's like the scene where, where uh, Big Tom gets hit with the block in All-Stars. <laughs> Damn it! Oh, that's a good, we could, uh, the shark that bit Richard in All-Stars episode three is a good one, oh, too. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. I love that one. All right, I think we built out an entire season. No, I, I, I feel like we're really reaching now. How about the leaf that Sari was afraid of? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That's a real. That's a that's a guarantee for oh, our NPCs. How about how about the Snickers bar? <laughs> oh boy, that t- that might have turned into the crap that Bruce couldn't take. <laughs> All right, let's let's get out of uh, let's get out of NPCs for a second. So Shifra asked us. Survivor has changed throughout the years, understatement of the century. What is your favorite change that has happened, and what is your least favorite change? So we can look at this from a 15-season perspective or a 30-plus season perspective at this point, but what would you say is overall is the one change that you're happy with and the one change that you're unhappy with, and only one change that you're unhappy with with the franchise? <laughs> Man, I, I can't believe I have to think of something I'm happy with. You've stumped me. Let me see here. Uh, feel free to answer if you guys come up with one. Okay, I have two. I have I have two. One's like a little like nitpickier editing thing, and one is kind of an overall trend. One for the nitpicky editor editor thing, I think, and this is like talking now past. It's okay if we go past sixteen, right? Yeah, we we, yeah. we brought up second okay. chances so many times at this point. I feel like we were just right, right. talking the entire. Uh, yes, yeah, so th- this is something that we'll see after season sixteen, and I think something from the the show's editing what they start doing in Gabon, and and in Gabon they go kind of a little bit crazy with it, and then they kind of tune it down. Is that they they play with where they're going to put in confessionals and things like that. That now you can insert a confessional like right after a challenge ends. We don't have to cut to commercial and come back. And so I think once you're able to do that, they can they can put more purposeful confessionals in throughout the throughout the episode so that you don't have to wait and have this huge break and have someone remind us what's happening. So I think that's something that they're much better about now that 
um, that they can insert those kind of things and they're not as bound to a strict structure like they were for so many seasons. And then for more of like a broad general thing, I think the, even though there's obviously, you know, we can make it way better, the diversity in the people they're casting on the show that we're not bound to having one black female, one black male, mm. maybe one Asian contestant, that we can have a season now where you can have two black women on the show and three, you know, Asian women on, on the same cast. And you don't have to have people filling those certain roles. So I think we can still get better about that, but that's definitely a, a change that the show has made for the better. This might sound controversial, but... I'm actually giving them the thumbs up that Survivor has incorporated more switches into their seasons. Granted, the switch is not something that's necessarily fair, but then again, has Survivor ever been fair? And I guess from a character perspective, I like the idea of certain people interacting, and so the sooner we get to see them interact, the better. I mean, let's remember, if Exile Island didn't have a switch, we wouldn't have had the Kasaya tribe form, and that magic would not have happened. So, you know, we have some seasons that have done, you know, as many as two switches before the merge. I'm actually a fan of it because I want to see these people interact more and more so that when it gets to the merge, it's not as static as, okay, this is our tribe, this is their tribe, now we have to get rid of the other warring faction. That's when it becomes boring for me. Um, And I also will say that I think, as much as we may gripe on Modern Survivor, there are, and from an editing perspective... I've used the term ensemble storytelling a lot in Modern Survivor to talk about some of these modern seasons where it does feel like in the older seasons, there wasn't really one designated narrator. Narrator, I feel like everyone kind of had their piece of the story and they came into prominence when they did and they faded into the background when they did. That sort of went away with even some of these middle seasons that we've been talking about. But I feel like there are seasons like Survivor Philippines, uh, Survivor Kagayan, you could even say something like Survivor Worlds Apart or Survivor Co. Wrong that featured every everyone sort of had their part to play in the overall narrative which made me happier because it made me think i'm getting to know 16 to 20 people rather than i'm getting to know five people a little bit about like 10 people and then nothing about the other five all right i actually thought of some one change that i like to the show I'll, i'll be i'll take the bait fine shifra all right um i remember in the early seasons I was watching, you'd watch the episodes, and I was thinking, you know what this episode needs is more Adam Sandler movies. We need to go see, no, I'm just kidding, not Adam Sandler, okay. The one thing that I don't think is that bad is I actually kind of like the blood versus water concept when they've done it twice, because I think it adds a fascinating level of detail where you vote somebody out, and then you got to deal with their loved ones, and it just creates this huge clusterfuck for the first six episodes or so of the show, where it's like... Uh, San Juan del Sur and Blood vs. Water, I think, have two fantastic openings, both of them. And it's it's just, it's a level of emotion that is not in a normal season. So I actually like that twist, even though I think it kind of peters out by the end of the season. I do think that's cool. That was a good... Uh, I wouldn't use it all the time, but it's neat when they actually went with it and it worked. And I do like how many editors' jokes they throw into the episodes in the later seasons. That is definitely kind of a modern concept, If especially if you read like the Funny 115. Those are a lot of my entries now, like, thank God these editors are putting in all these jokes in there, like, uh, with Bruce's rock garden and Courtney being all sentimental and fucking up his rock garden, stuff like that. Like, there's a lot of editors' jokes that wouldn't have been in the earlier seasons. So I do appreciate the editors kind of inserting themselves more into the seasons more. I, I like that. Um, I could give you a laundry list of all the things I don't like that they've changed to the seasons, but I will, I will just say one, and I've been saying this for years, and this one always galls me, and that is in the first, I believe three seasons maybe four i forget but 
where they say at the very start of the first episode, this is so-and-so, he's a bartender, he's from, like, we'll see Gabriel, from Silo, North Carolina, this is Jenna Lewis, she's a single mother from New Hampshire, like, where they would actually introduce the characters in the first five minutes of the first episode, which I thought was such a fantastic way to introduce yourself to the players, like, it always bothers me that they stop doing that. Like, that is such an easy way to get you to know and like the characters right off the bat, at least know the, who they are. It always shocks me that they stop doing that. So that's the number one thing that's always bugged me, and I it kills me that I can't mention returning players. But, yeah, it's that it's that intro. That intro, taking that out of the first episode, I don't get why they don't have that. You heard here first, folks. Mario Lanza loves returning players. That was the one concept he didn't choose that he didn't like. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I don't know. Um... I think I've already mentioned the thing that I don't necessarily like, which is just the way that Survivor is packaged these days. I wouldn't even say edited. I wouldn't even say uh, the way they're telling the story because the game has changed. The show has changed. The fans have, for the most part, shifted what they want to see. And I think that they've shifted in kind. And so I can't really, you know, just because I'm some guy that liked things uh, a bunch of seasons ago, it's not made for me. And, I, and I'm okay with that. Um, but the, the, the extra scenes, the, the secret scenes, the fact that you don't get the whole story in the 43 minutes of the episode, that you have to watch 30 minutes of bonus content to make sense of a 43-minute episode, is ludicrous to me. I know that everyone's like, oh, but you get more Survivor content. But it's like, it's, <laughs> it's not telling the story the same way. Um, I didn't realize the guy from the B-52s was such a big Survivor fan. Yeah, I that's, was going to say, is always, Catherine Hepburn? Catherine Hepburn's talking about Survivor? That's just like... I, that's like my favorite voice these days. So, so let me have it. For the love of God, let me have that. Um, I think the thing that I do like and, and, and appreciate, even though sometimes it fails, is I like it when they try something new, not necessarily with idols or, or twists like vote doublers, although I understand why they do that. I like the, the twists like when they switch from two tribes to three tribes. or like I liked the idea that they had in one world in the sense that, you know, okay, we'll put two tribes on the same beach. And look, One World was a horrific season, and we don't want to speak about it too much. But I like that they at least tried to mess with the start a little bit. I always like that they're trying those sorts of things. Uh, an additional thing that I don't like, though, is the, is the converse, is the... I don't like it when... I like it when they try to switch the format of the game in such a way to kind of keep people on their guard. I don't like it when they don't necessarily switch the format but they like to go with the theme that is that seems tired in it or or not tired but just seems very hackneyed um uh, i'm looking at you blue collar no collar white collar you know because to me that's just it's the way they're packaging the show in the sense that these people that went out there you know, it's a television show. These people are all trying to win a game. They're trying to go out there, have the adventure of their lives, win a million dollars. But they're also wanting to be characters on a television show. And especially in Modern Survivor, where returnees happen all the time, right? Like, you need to make your moments on that show memorable. You need to get confessionals. You need to get and be a character. So they probably don't know that. But And, and I don't know how everything works. But I am assuming that they don't know what the theme of the season is. And then they step on that mat at the beginning and Jeff's like, hey, welcome to Survivor. And I'm going to break you up into teams. And oh, look, you guys are white collar. You guys are blue collar. You guys are no collar. And it's like, it may not be something that these guys are really thinking about before the game starts. But now that Jeff has introduced this theme, you sort of know, if I want to get on television, if I want to be a person, I have to mention 
my collar and all the other people's collars in my confessionals. So then you get these confessionals at the beginning. And they're like, oh, yeah, we just did the typical blue collar thing. And, but, you know, and it's like then Jeff is shoehorning it into every interview in a tribal council. He's framing everything into collars. And it's like, to me, that's not that's not messing with the format. That's just doing a hackneyed bit on a theme. And I don't enjoy that. I don't think that that's creative. And I don't think that that is some like they're not really exploring the the depths of what it means to be blue collar or what it means to be white collar, what it means to be no collar. They're literally just, you know, separating people by occupational status at the beginning of the game. And that's it. And then eventually they're going to shuffle and mix and all that sort of stuff. And it's not you're not exploring anything. You're just literally giving a framework for the first three episodes of the season. And I just I just don't think that that's creative or useful. Yeah, you brought up an interesting point, Jay, that I would probably put as my one thing that I... And it's not even like a production change as much as it's more a... I guess more of a philosophy change where there are so many returning player seasons that there definitely are people that come into the show and say, all right, well, if I'm not going to win, I'm at least going to play so that people recognize me so that I get asked to do another season. And I think that's just such a sucky way of looking at a game where maybe it tunes you out from actually playing to win or you're playing more of the meta game based on the history of it. But God love people like Coach, but people have become such camera aware and, you know, coming up with these antics in order to be noticed to really possibly get on the radar of future seasons. And that sort of takes away from the general verisimilitude of the show that we saw. Even in these middle years where production was trying things, we still got real people. We just talked about a few people that really were very interestingly portrayed on the show. But now we're starting to get into an era where we're going to have people definitely playing up, knowing that, okay, if I do this now, if I make this big move, there's going to be a better chance of me coming back for a future season now. So speaking of that, uh, we have a question from Jackaray37, who asks, which characters from seasons 1 through 15 would have been stronger characters or fit in better on a more modern season? Likewise, which characters from 16 to 32 would have been better served on an old school season? So let's say we're playing God here, we're moving the chess pieces that are survivor players on a continuous spectrum of time. If there were some players that we could take from the first 15 seasons and put them into modern survivor that maybe they'd fit better in there, are there any that we can think of off the top of our heads? And then vice versa, are there any modern survivor players that you think would do well on an old school season? Boy, that's a tough one because there's a lot of variables you're working around. I mean, I would say, for example, Keith Nail would be great on a, on a, an old Survivor season. I, th- I think what a lot of people say about Keith in his time on Survivor is that like, he's a nice hearkening back to like the big Toms and the characters that weren't necessarily big strategists, but just a lot of fun to go to for confessionals. So I feel like he'd fit right in in those early seasons. Yeah, I would love to see Cass on an early season. Yeah, that's a good one as well. If, if I'm thinking of someone from the old school seasons that would be interesting on the modern Survivor... For some reason, Alex Angarita really sticks out to me. I feel like Alex was almost like a harbinger of like the bitter jury speech combined with the mad idol hunt combined with like the super strategic confessionals. He was like a modern survivor player in the making, just like a few years too early. Yeah, I always wonder someone like Heidek on a later season or Sesternino or Fairplay on a later season, what they would be like. You know who I think would actually do, you know, obviously, you know, time being time. But if you could warp them to a modern season, I would love to see Lex on a modern yeah. season. Mm. Yeah. Jenna Lewis, Jenna Lewis would also be quite the little hell beast on a later season. 
I mean, she, yeah, she was the person that got screwed the most being on Pagong. She's, she's so not a Pagong. You could have ended the sentence it screwed the most. <laughs> yes. I, I'm also thinking about someone like Lindsay Richter, who kind of gets out because she kind of sucks at being a person, but that doesn't really matter as much now. And I think that, you know, she'd be fun to see in the modern era. I also wonder, and Mario's probably going to love me for this, wh- how do you think Gabriel Cade would do on a modern season? I mean, do you feel like the super strategic people that exist on Modern Survivor would not pull a John Carroll and immediately vote him off, but instead, like, try to string him along as a goat to the end? See, I think he'd go out even earlier on a modern season. He would just spook the hell out of people. That's my, that'd be my guess on that one. Mm-hmm. But it depends on if Gabriel changes. I mean, at that time, Survivor was such a test, an out test of ethics. It showed who you really were. I mean, there was all that baggage, so that was obviously in going into his thinking. I'm not sure he would approach the game the same way in the modern era, so it's hard to say. All right, so uh, we have a question from Fox again. We're going to put ourselves in the mind of a jury for a second. Is there any jury instance where you feel like you you would have gravitated towards a runner-up instead of a winner? So let's say you're a member of a Survivor jury for any one of these first 15 seasons. As a juror, is there a case where you would have voted for the runner-up instead of the winner? You know, this is one of those things I've always argued that Survivor is just a big popularity contest, and that the only reason people win Survivor is you get to the end and you're like, well, can I go to sleep at night knowing this person beat me at Survivor? And I, I really think that every vote comes down to that. And can I, will I be able to live with myself knowing this person beat me at Survivor? And that's why I've always argued why Nalia didn't win Marquesas, because people just could not accept this 21-year-old little Mormon girl was their better in a strategy game. I just didn't think they could handle that, so... So it's one of those things, would I have gravitated towards the loser? I'm just kind of going down the, the list of Survivor winners. Would I have been happy saying the loser beat me in Survivor? I'm trying to think here. Mm. I mean, Colby, that's an obvious, obvious one. Colby, but that's... that's the, the Australia jury vote had so much baggage behind it, too. You know, being after Richard, the good guy had to win the second time. People wanted to see a female win the second time. Like, we couldn't have this unlikable Richard the second time. So... I don't know. I could see myself voting for Colby. Um, I can't see myself voting for Kim Johnson. Kelly Wigglesworth was a big rat. No one liked her. Uh, Nalia, yeah, I just can't buy her beating me in a strategy game. It's would, You would, just have to go down the line here. Would the horror movie fan in you want to vote for Matthew in Amazon? Um, Probably not because he was such a spaz. As much as I like horror movies, I mean, he was maybe the least respected player in the first six seasons of Survivor, so it's hard to... Like, I always go back to Rob Sesternino saying, I cannot have this guy beating me at Survivor on my on my conscience when I go to sleep at night. <laughs> I don't know. What do you guys think on this one? Um, for me, the one that I always like had a hard time with, and sometimes it's hard with me with these older seasons because... I've like formed this opinion so long ago and like for some of these seasons that I saw so many times and was so um, like certain about what I thought about things. It's hard for me to go back now and like take that out of it. But it's funny that the first one you brought up was the Nalia versus Vesepia thing. And that's the one loss that forever has kind of haunted me. And I really wished, I mean, like now I'm like fine with it because it's been however long, but really wish that, you know, things would end a little bit differently because I was a big Nalia fan. And um, I, I think if Nalia had made the right argument that, that she could have won it in the end. I'm surprised, no, you, didn't, I'm surprised you didn't say Amanda. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, Todd kind of earned that one. I mean, Amanda, yeah, a little bit, but... Um, but that was also that's also a case where it's like it's totally like okay with the other person winning like it's they both are really good. 
Also, until right now, I'm not sure Paul ever realized Amanda didn't actually win China. Three-time winner, the only person to do it, Amanda Kimmel. <laughs> oh, boy. M-O-N-T-A-N-A, Montana, I love you. <laughs> oh, boy. And, and we, had, we also had so many people respond to our last podcast about how much they, they, learn, they love learning the Montana song. So it's a state that nobody's ever going to forget about anytime soon after listening to this podcast. Oh, quick, as, quick aside, it was funny because... Um, so we podcast about that, and then in between our last podcast and now, I went to Germany for two weeks, the main purpose of it, going to a wedding for some German friends we have there. And the theme of their wedding they did was um, kind of like a vacation theme, and every table was a different place that they had visited. And so they had visited us in Montana before, so they had a Montana table, they had a Florida table, a Thailand table, all these places that they traveled to. And they wanted a song to go with each table, so when that song played that um everyone at the table it was their turn to get up and go get the foods they had like they were playing like welcome to miami for the florida song and they had this like spanish song for their spain table and all these things and so they're trying to get the montana one and like just kind of as like oh yeah well there's the montana state song they were so close they tried to find the montana state song to play that at this german wedding unfortunately they couldn't get it off like youtube in time or something like that so they had to go with um a john mayer song that he's singing about something about montana but it was so close to playing the montana theme song at this german wedding for some so reason close. you said john mayer song and i imagine your body is a wonderland for some reason <laughs> so I just imagine no, that not, playing not as you went to go get your food Oh, boy. Jay, do you have uh, any thoughts about state songs or about <laughs> about players that you would want to swap? Or no, no, sorry, I want a different question. I just realized that. Uh, juries that you would you would vote the other way on? Um, I have lots of thoughts about state songs, mainly <laughs> why. Um, <laughs> no, I, I am not of the opinion. Mario has said before, and I, and I don't want to, um, if I'm getting this wrong... You know, I apologize, but you know, I, I am not of the I am not of the belief. Maybe Mario is, but I am not of, be- of the belief that the person who wins a season of Survivor is the best player of that season. Um, but by that same token, I don't necessarily I don't knock winners n- mainly because not like I'm like, well, they must be good if they won. It's they, but but in my opinion, they won for a reason, and maybe it was because they did something, or maybe it was because the other people didn't like the other choice. I don't know, but that is where I I feel like you know we can analyze a jury within the story that's being told us on TV, but we can't as viewers and as me who has never played Survivor is not a Survivor contestant. I have a hard time knocking a jury for picking somebody because they have more of the story than I do, the real story of what's going out there. So I have a hard time really with um, replacing a winner with a runner-up because there was probably a reason why that person was a runner-up and there was a reason that somebody won. Um, And I don't know if I can replicate it. I mean, clearly, you know, going through, I was very disappointed when Colby lost to Tina the first time because I thought that Colby was amazing and should have won. Um, going back on it, you understand why he lost. So, you know, there, there are things in these early seasons, like I didn't understand how Jenna won in, in Amazon, right? But looking back on it, you, you know exactly why Jenna won. And so, you know, there are times where an outcome has happened on TV and everyone gets outraged. And I feel like, you know, in modern Survivor times, that gets 
very amplified because of social media, because of these instant reaction podcasts and blogs and stuff that we have. You know, a winner happens, and if it's not a satisfying winner, boy, do we hear about it and all of that stuff. But I, I get very touchy about that because we don't know the whole story. We don't know what was going on out there. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, the people there might change their story or they've had months to think about it and go, yeah, I voted this way, but maybe I'd vote this way now. But it's like, but you didn't. You voted this one way at the time. So it's very hard to get all the full story as it goes. And so to me, it's kind of like the people won. They won for a reason. Let's just let it lie. Yeah. Well, I always think back to things like Helen not voting for Clay at the end of Thailand. You know, one of our arguments is, well, Clay never goes and gets water. He never does any work, which is a totally valid reason not to want someone to, to say this person beat you in Survivor. I don't want to reward this little turd. He never worked. But it's a hard thing for, like, uh, Internet fans to really grasp that that's a factor why you would vote for a person not to win Survivor. Yeah, I feel like that's, like, the main facet that a lot of armchair survivor analysis comes from i mean obviously there's a lot of week-to-week stuff as jay just mentioned but i feel like the jury vote is usually and it's it sucks because there's not only the element of the popularity contest but also i feel like there is a psychological element with a jury vote nowadays where it's like people are going to remember my game on survivor based on this jury vote you know granted some of them are a little more inconsequential i don't think Tawana being the only vote for Lil in the Pearl Islands final tribal, final tribal council is like a stain on her reputation or anything. But I feel like especially in modern seasons, people will now like go to people immediately and be like, oh, you voted for this person. Why did you do that when you said you would do this? So I feel like there's even more pressure on the idea of the jury vote that it makes the decision, again, a little more head-scratching when not all the information is there. Yeah, agreed. So, Shiyun asked us a version of this question, but we actually received a lot of the version of kind of the same question of this era of 9 to 15. There are some people that consider it old school survivors, some consider it new school survivors, some consider it somewhere in between. Where does it lie for you guys on the general spectrum of the series? Uh, To me, it's the transitional series. Like, you hit All-Stars, All-Stars kind of was a nail in the coffin of what Survivor was and was up to that point. And they kind of had to start over. And so 9 happened, and it wasn't super popular. And 10 happened, and 10 was popular. And then 11 happened, and, and Guatemala was not really popular, and Probes hated it. And so after that, it all changed. Like, they're trying to find their, their footing. They're trying to f- figure out what their voice should be now. Because I think 9 through 11 was like that... It was like the second, the do-over of Survivor, and it didn't really work. And so then they started just throwing anything at the wall to see what would stick. So I couldn't consider this like the transitional era. You always have to frame things uh, in, in the sense of the longevity of the show. We're still going. As of this podcast, Survivor is still on the air. And it doesn't seem like it's going to be off the air for a little bit. So, you know, we're 30 plus seasons in the game. I never thought that we would be this far back then. So a lot of times you looked at All-Stars as like this transition of like, okay, the front seven was the old school. Now we've got new school. But now we've got even newer school and newer school after that. So you sort of, I feel like this time before Micronesia, it's, it's, it's an experimental time. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a tri- it's the college years. Mm-hmm. I mean, part of me died inside when a little bit ago when we were talking about players that would do good in the modern era, and uh, Mike said Alex from Alex. Fiji. I was <laughs> like, oh, the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that crazy that he played in, you know, 2006, 2007? Yeah. That's at this point, like, almost a decade ago. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. 
Right. I mean, you 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 look at the United States of America. I live in Michigan, right? That's considered the Midwest. It's all it's all a matter of perspective, I guess. Right. It, it it's not west in any sense of the imagination, right? <laughs> but it was at one point, right? So it, it's like the University of Michigan's theme song even has like "Hail to the Victors, Hail to the Michigan, the Champions of the West." The West of what? You are like right in the middle of the country, right? But but you know it's all perspective, right? So it's like. Oh, 9 through 15, new school. No, not new school anymore. Uh, middle school, high school, college. All right, so Will Olson asked us, what's the one thing you're each surprised hasn't happened yet on Survivor? And again, we've dated ourselves multiple times. This might be the biggest time we date ourselves because, watch, we say something hasn't happened yet and it's going to happen on a future season of Survivor. But is there one thing that you can pick out from the first 30-plus seasons that you're very much surprised has not happened yet? Uh, someone hasn't died yet. Well, on the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the American version. Yeah, I mean, on the American, yeah. I mean, look how close yeah, they've cool. come. How many near near misses they've had. Like, I am shocked it has not happened at least once. Like Kalanto where somebody died? Yeah. Uh, I uh. am surprised that a fist fight has not broken out. That's Consi- the one. Considering that in other situations on other reality shows where there are much less stakes, where they're just living in a house together, there have been far more verbal scuffles and fistfights that have broken out that if you are starving and malnourished and dead tired on an island and your emotions are running at an all-time high. I mean, we got close. We had you know Rupert nearly strangling Johnny Fairplay or Brandon Hands having a meltdown, but nobody has actually punched someone in the face, which I am very... Very surprised that hasn't happened yet yeah. in over 15 years of Survivor. We've had more slaps to the face on the real world than we have on uh, Survivor. Exactly. That was, that was literally my answer, Mike, was that I someone has not punched somebody because that's an automatic exit in Survivor. I mean, they've, they've made that, well, not that they made that clear, but I think that that's <laughs> yeah. a clear rule that we know is that if you physically harm somebody that way that that's that's a that that's a get off survivor right like no assault and for some reason it hasn't happened and and i feel like in in all the seasons of survivor that we that we've had somebody in that situation sh- had to have snapped and and had to have done it but i guess the answer is no we've had a couple people snap and like dump food but other than that no I'm always surprised. I'm not sure this kind of counts as the same as dumping food, but, you know, people literally start losing their minds towards the end of the season, and, you know, they get super competitive, and they'll do anything to win, and they go, kind of go crazy. I'm surprised no one has ever tried to taint the food and make the other players sick. Mm. I could just kind of see that happening with people not really thinking of what's in their best, or not, like, not really thinking if this is a good idea or not, and, like, undercooking something, or perhaps making sure there's a little bacteria in the food before you serve it to other people towards the end of the game. And again, uh, that's one of those things, maybe it's happened, and maybe you've never heard about it, and maybe no one fessed up to it, but I could see the scenario where that could happen. Yeah, yeah, and I was going to go along the same lines about really surprising, oops, that there hasn't been someone, you know, with physical violence, that that hasn't, you know, really been a thing yet. Here's the thing, has this happened? I I can't even necessarily go uh, figure out if it has. I mean, clearly there have been team challenges or, or challenges where there have been people on certain teams where you know they if if something has happened someone will go and and block or hinder the other person's path but has there been anything where like you know they're they're doing those like individual challenges late in the game where like they're like stacking pieces or doing some sort of balance puzzle or something like that like has there been any any way like someone can like totally just go and wreck someone else's pile on purpose 
Is, is there a penalty for that? Do you get do you get thrown out? You mean like if you, if you reach across and like mess up yeah. a, a, a competitor's? I mean, you have yeah. you have like moments like that, like so South Pacific when Sophie asks Albert to like drop his stack and pick up drop her it, pieces so that she can drop form the House of Cards. But he doesn't, right? Yeah. And yeah. so and everyone stays in their lane. And I'm just like, has anyone like really hindered somebody in in those? Like I. I Challenge hindering has happened. I get that, but in in one of those things, like when there's only like four or three people left, and they're doing some sort of intense endurancey, concentrationy, puzzly sort of thing, someone just completely decimating someone else's thing. I don't think it's happened. Well, you know, my instinct with that would be if it did happen, we wouldn't have seen it. They would have stopped filming and reset everything up. Yeah, yeah. that's totally so, true. I I, no I, I I almost want to want to see like on the same line as physical violence, like. Let's say it's one of those challenges where it's, they're like ba- balancing the balls on like the paddle or something like that, and you know people they get eliminated and they drop out and they're on the on the the bench the the losers bench on the side. I would love to see someone just snap and like run off the bench and just run up and like shove one of the people that's still going. <laughs> That'd be great. We need more pro wrestling in Survivor. That's right. <laughs> then, Good then, God, then, that's James Clements music. Here he comes. Like, and then somebody like distracts probes so that they can like hit the other guy with like a bowling pin or a chair or something like that. Yeah. And then he turns around and he's like, "Oh, they're out!" Oh. And then that's when Jeff permanently says, "Okay, we're not. I'm not going to be in challenges anymore. We'll go back to the bocce ball and the build your own backyard games." Speaking of bocce ball, that was the challenge. Had I won, I would not have been voted off in fourth place on Survivor Montana. <laughs> Paul never forgets. He's like an elephant. You were the foa foa in that situation, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> all right you know uh, what darren osselson won chickens what did you do not that piece. yeah i i think that i think that in in the voting aspect of survivor i think most things have happened in the sense that we've had somebody win a final tribal council getting all of the votes um we, I, yeah we, we, while, only, we only the one situation that i think we would never get but we did recently get was the tribal council where all votes got canceled out yeah I, I was like, with, with, with multiple idols, you knew it. Like, we all talked about how there would be this tribal council where people would play idols and then, therefore, no votes would count. And everyone was like, I can't wait for that day. And then the day came and it was really lame because no votes counted. All right. So, the Corn Ultimatum asks a really interesting question simply, why is Survivor so addicting? And I think, you know, it's a show that has lasted through the years. We're obviously all fans of it. We've talked about it. There, We just talked about the countless numbers of media that is even dedicated to it, even after 15 years. Is there one or two things that you could connect to the fandom as to why Survivor has had such a big following and been so addicting over the course of this decade-plus number of years? There's a lot of ways to answer that question. Like, you could just say, well, it's psychology, it's sociology, it goes into human behavior. Anything you see on the show is applicable to us as humans. I mean, because we're just watching humans, how they respond to things. You could say that. I could give a different answer saying, like, I don't especially like Survivor too much anymore once you get past about this 20s. But I always like watching the fan community and the way people react to Survivor and how Survivor develops. So I kind of, it's almost like a meta game at this point where I like watching how Survivor becomes Survivor and really what it morphs into and why and how people respond to it. So, I mean, there's lots of ways to answer why it's engrossing to people. One thing I will point out here is that I think, um, I mean, and, and I guess the format of this is, is similar 
it goes in line with all with with most reality shows. But one thing that's great about Survivor is that that it we have a reset every season. So like you may get like f things up and it's horrible and fans don't like it. You can just start fresh every time, and it's a solid of enough of a format that you can jump right back into it and follow along with it without having to know a lot of background knowledge on it. So I think that's you know that that's a plus of how it's gone on for so long. I think one of the the things about Survivor that makes it so addicting or or that 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 draws people in is that it's a show where it it ticks a lot of different boxes for people in the mm-hmm. sense that you know you have a you have like a sitcom that is just you know like base potty humor or something like that and that's that's all well and good if you like that sort of thing but it only has like the one thing right whereas with survivor there's there's the sociology of the game involved, and maybe that attracts you. Um, maybe you're a person that likes twists and idols, and and you know people talking about vote splitting and stuff like that. It has that. Maybe you're somebody that likes the fact that they go on an island and they have to try to survive and and, and create sort of a, a community around that. And there's that. And then maybe you know you're somebody that likes something like there are so many different facets to what's going on on your television that you know maybe maybe certain things like you know there are some people like well. I don't really care about them being on an island. They could not be on an island for all I care about. But the but the strategy is super super interesting to me. Or there are some people that are like, ah, the strategy is okay, but I love the fact that you know they have to go out there and try to survive. Or or uh, all these other different things. It, it's a show that has many different facets to it, and I think that when you have a show like that, it draws people in. And then when you draw people in and you create this community, then things take off from there. I completely agree. I say that the number one reason why Survivor is still on the air and has a loyal audience is because everyone takes something different from the show. Yep. I think had, you know, when you have the seasons that are not so great at strategy, you have people loving the characters. When you have seasons that are not so great on characters, you have people loving the strategy. I think it's very telling that when you ask people to rank their Survivor seasons, of course there's going to be a lot of variance because there are 30 plus seasons at this point, but there is such a high variance as as opposed to something like a scripted show where there's a pretty much a big consensus as to what the top and bottom seasons are there. I mean, I know people that hate Pearl Islands. I love people that love Redemption Island. I think everyone has such a different take on Survivor that that's the number one reason why it's still on the air and why I guess it is so addicting in a way is that you sort of find the thing that you love about Survivor and you latch onto it. And even if you find a season that doesn't feature the thing that you want, you almost wait hopelessly, hoping that there will be a season or an episode that comes along that satiates what you want from the show. All right, so looking again more holistically, Shun asked us from seasons 9 through 15 again. Birds, stop asking questions. <laughs> lots lots <laughs> of good lots birds, of good questions. You. Lots of good questions, but from seasons 9 through 15, which character is the most important? Uh important is obviously a big uh interpretable Amanda word. Kimmel. Amanda Kimmel. <laughs> well, All right, the question Amanda has been Kimmel. answered. Yeah, we're yeah. done. Yep, we're done. We're done. Have a good night. <laughs> he just dropped the mic. You couldn't hear it though. All right, uh, nine through fifteen. Who is the most important character? Mm-hmm. Gosh, and why is um, it Austin Rupp? Yeah, he he's only in, in there the, once. Is, he's is not he in there in any of nine through oh, fifteen. He's, he's in none of those. Yeah, it's not that's like, right. It's not like a modern season where he's mentioned, even though he's not on the season. Yeah, but it's Boston, stuck on right? that Boston. I'm going to say who was the biggest and most important. Ooh. <sighs> I mean, I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Stephanie Lagrosa. 
And I think that that was my yeah. Go ahead. I'm, I'm stealing everyone's answers today. I think we've I think we've covered it in our Palau and Guatemala coverage because I think she sort of checks a lot of boxes in that. She was the biggest fan favorite since Rupert. I mean, we can't say enough about how much Steph Fever really hit the country after watching Palau. She had a fantastic storyline behind her. She was the first one to have that extreme underdog storyline of a tribe of one. I was able to muster her way through a few votes. And there's a lot to be said about like the young, strong female archetype. There were not many young, strong females at the time in Survivor. And to have Stephanie kind of come in guns blazing... The fact that they brought her back the next season, I think, shows how big of a character she is, considering that that's only been done a handful of times in Survivor up to this point. The only previous time had been done for Rupert. So I feel like Stephanie kind of paved the way for, I mean, in Guatemala, you have contestants coming up to her being like, I applied for the show because I saw you on there. So even though, again, Stephanie's been far removed from the game at this point, I can't talk enough about how much of an impact she had about on survivor storytelling and the archetypes that came as a result. Yeah. Again, it's hard to answer anybody, but that if this gets into the question, do they need to be a returning player to be considered important? And if you don't think they need to be returning, I think Yule was a big, fantastic, important character in there. But I don't, again, I'm not sure he ever reached Stephanie levels of, Oh my God, I'm going to cry when I see you because you're such an inspiration to me. Yeah. I disagree with Yule. Um, yeah. Or Ozzy. I guess Ozzy's right there too, huh? Well, but I think that what if if you're interpreting the the question just strictly nine through fifteen, like if you look at that block of time, who is important in that stretch? I think yeah. the answer probably has to be Stephanie. Not only for everything Mike said, but you know Stephanie was on two of those seasons, um, so we got to see more of her, and and we got to see sort of the impact that she had just as mike said for the fact that she gets on guatemala and i think it was lydia that's basically like, i applied because i love you and it's just like oh geez you know um you get that sort of thing uh, it's tough to say someone like ozzy or something like that because ozzy was only he was only on cook islands and he was important i guess you could say maybe he was important in cook islands and all that sort of thing but ozzy doesn't get important yet because he hasn't come back yet right so you yeah. know you know parvati is a big character in in the survivor lore, but I would say Cook Islands poverty by itself is not super important, right? So yeah. to me, I don't interpret that question as someone who will be important. Yeah. So I think that Stephanie's the answer. And I think that apologies have to go to I think that James is probably the next one. I disagree with that. Tom Westman is the one that jumps out at me. Oh, I I don't think Tom's mm-hmm. important at all. You don't think so? Because I would argue he's the second popular winner on Survivor. You had Ethan and then Tom, and Tom was more popular than Ethan. So I think he was a big deal that he won. Yeah, but but Tom went away. Like, I I mean, you know, Tom was a nice story, uh, archetype, but like, we didn't, you know, Tom was not the story coming out of Palau. It was Stephanie. Uh... Yeah, I mean, you could make that argument, but I would argue that if we're just keeping in the context of 9 through 15, Tom is the number two after Stephanie. I disagree with that completely. I, would, I wouldn't even say James is number two. I'd say Ceri's number two. But Ceri didn't win. I think you have to win to say this. Again, no, we're only I looking think, at 9 I think, through 15. I think, I think for archetypes and everything going forward, I think Ceri's way more important than Tom is. Really? Yeah. yeah. Hmm. It's, not, it's very rare that you and I disagree so differently on something. But yeah, I totally disagree with that. Um, another person that comes to my mind um, and, and the impact that his win has for later seasons would be Todd's win in China because it kind of gave like 
more hope to the super fan out there that eventually we're going to start casting more super fans again after the fails of having like um, Skinny Ryan and Brooke from Vanuatu and just not really having these super fans that do that great at the show. Having a super fan win and be someone who was like good to have on the show, I think that that probably is an important character as well. Yeah, I, I think sort of like the amalgamation of Todd and Courtney and Sari and Yao Man sort of harken back to like Cesarino and Fairplay era where the mm-hmm. non-athletic people ended up winning because you you look at people like or doing well at least because you look at people like Tom and Terry and even someone like Danny Boatwright who are like these jacked physical competitors doing well in Survivor and like Paul said there were sometimes there was an era where the, the super fans or the nerdier types Brian Corden's another example didn't do too too well but now we started to see that, oh, these people got off the couch, and while they were a little yeah. frightened at first, and they sort of fell behind, they were able to actually make their way through the game from a gameplay perspective. I mean, we're going to see a couple of them coming up in you yeah. know, in, in Survivor Micronesia, or in a couple of them in Survivor Heroes versus Villains as well. So it's tough for me to pick out one of them amongst that group. Probably Suri is the most popular among them today, but... I think we started to see kind of a market shift in that sort of super fan nerdier, for lack of a better term, archetype yes. do better in the game. Yes, yes, and that's that's sort of what I'm going with is that, you know, like Palau is such a weird season, right? In 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 the sense that you know, Karor oolonged oolong, right? And so, and 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 Tom was was a was a popular winner, and Tom was 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 a nice guy, and he was a New York firefighter, and we were all you know. Uh, very appreciative of that and, and whatnot, but like, you know, Tom is you know an old charismatic silver fox put together guy who wins Survivor. You take one look at him, you're like, yeah, he he could he could win Survivor, and 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 there's nothing to learn from that, right? Whereas whereas like with Sari, she comes in there and she braves nature and does really really well, and it sort of sets this precedent that then Yao Man sort of capitalizes on or builds on the, the, the this sort of narrative of, of the of the non-athletic you know not super uh, you, you know with it person sort of surviving and you know Yao Man is an outdoorsman type but Yao Man is you know was older and he seemed frail and it seemed like he couldn't do anything and Yao Man just beat the pants off of a bunch of people out there you know and 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 then Todd you know seems like maybe Todd isn't you know situated for the elements and Todd wins the freaking game and you know it's it's not the it's not the rise of it's not so much the rise of the nerd but it's the rise of that archetype that I think starts sort of with Suri because the story you know there was Chris who was sort of an anomaly but you know you had these you know sort of hard body types in Vanuatu and then you have Karor Karoring Oolong but then Oolong's story comes out is that you've got Stephanie who's the ultimate underdog and probably the most important person of this era and you've got you know Bobby John who will run through a brick wall you know, well, sir, I think I will run through this wall. And so you've got that, you know, the, these sort of like athletic types sort of dominating. And then you have this, the back half of that 9 through 15 is the, the non-athletic types doing well. Yeah, see, the way I look at that question is if you were to, if season 16, let's say it was an all-star season, which uh, it kind of is. <laughs> although <laughs> although Parvati, Parvati's there too. But well, let's just say, if you're casting, if you're in... That whatever that year was, two thousand six, seven, I don't know. But if you're if you're in season sixteen, we're going to cast an all star season right now at this point in history on the biggest stars in Survivor. Tom is like the number one or two guy you're going to pick. That's what that's my argument. I, I know you're looking you're looking at this differently than I am. 
I mean, I would say he's definitely one of the more popular winners at the time. And I think we talked about this in our Palau podcast, but even when you look at 10 seasons after the fact, you say we're bringing back some of Survivor's biggest heroes and villains. Tom, even though he's far removed, is still being considered one of the biggest heroes sure, in terms yeah. of his edit. Yeah, I'm not saying Tom's unimportant, but... Yeah. You and uh, I are just looking at this question differently. Yeah, I think we are. And I think the problem is, is that you know, when you're, you know, because you could say, yeah, they brought Tom back for Heroes vs. Villains, but they brought Stephanie back, they brought Sari back, and yeah. they brought, uh, well, they didn't bring Yao Man back, but Yao Man got on, uh, on Micronesia, so, you know. Amanda, we got Amanda, don't leave and, her out. And we did get Amanda. Woo-hoo! And we got, and we got Candace, which, I guess it's, we got one, it's, one, it's one in the column for Paul's argument that Amanda's the most <laughs> important player from the era. It's Amanda, we got, boom, We got Amanda. Candace Cody Woodcock, so, you know, yeah. we're, we're good, too. By the way, there's one player I have to mention here, we have not named her yet. Amy from Vanuatu. I got to throw her in there just for if you're looking through nine through 15, who was a big standout character. Yeah. Amy Amy was enormous and we haven't even mentioned her yet. She was. And, and apologies to Amy because we should have. All right. I guess we could have stopped by just all saying Stephanie was the answer. Yeah. We're we're parsing like two through five right now, you know, (laughs) but like the number one is Stephanie, I think. Well, we could just blame the long windedness of this question on Eliza. That's really all we need to do. Maybe that's what I see. Oh my oh, god! Oh, that's a good answer too. Anyway, <laughs> oh no, she's not. <laughs> uh, so let's let's go off on a further tangent here. Uh, Brad Strudwick asked us, "What do the historians think of Australian Survivor so far?" So I will continue to date this podcast. Uh, at the time of recording this, we're a little over halfway through this current iteration of Australian Survivor, which is back for a third season. Okay, it's... okay, dude. Okay, no, we did three episodes or no, two episodes on Australian Survivor. Yeah. What more do you want to know? Tina wins, Colby loses. Oh yeah. boy! All right. Uh, no, no, guys, guys. There, what? There was an Australian version of Survivor played with Australian people, uh, and it just premiered. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. Colby stole coral from the Great Barrier Reef. We know yeah. this. Jerry was a bitch. No, 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 no. These are these are twenty four completely new people. They live. They were born and raised in the country slash continent of Australia, and they're playing the game of Survivor. No people. The Roger isn't involved. Elizabeth isn't there. Jeff Varner isn't there. They're all playing a game together using the U.S. formula. You know what I'm thinking about? The helicopter driver who flies Colby and Jerry to the Great Barrier Reef could be Des from the show. It could. It could. That very, very well much could be, be him. I don't know Dennis. Was he in a secret scene? <laughs> yes. It was called Getting, oh, yes, to, know, getting to Know Dennis, uh, the <laughs> helicopter pilot from the Great Barrier Reef Reward. Uh, so the third season of Australian Survivor has premiered. We're about 14 episodes in, which surprisingly is only a little more than halfway. They're using 24 contestants. Um, I know Paul and I have both watched it. I, I don't think you're completely caught up, Paul, but I would love to hear from you right. your thoughts about it because it seemed to, within the hardcore Survivor community, really caught on as... Uh, I mean, it's been a mixed bag right now. I would say that the first few episodes were great. People have not been a big fan of the most recent episodes, but it's definitely caught on in terms of conversation. I mean, it's fun. It's fun at Survivor. It's a lot of content. Um... But it's very modern Survivor, like just the level of strategy that's in it, the number of twists that are in it. I don't think it's really Mario or Jay's cup of tea, but I've had fun with it. But it is such a huge time commitment that I I can't give my 100% attention to it because I'm like on episode 10 and I feel like I've been marathoning it nonstop. So what have you thought about it so far, Mike? Yeah, I mean, what I've said before with it is that it's an old school cast with new school production. Um, I'm a big fan of the cast. I would say if, if you guys check out the, the show at all, check it out because of the cast. It's a really fun mix where uh, 
This sort of was the case with like Big Brother Canada and Amazing Race Canada, where there is a surprisingly strong contingency of Australian Survivor fans out there that once they got the chance to finally play the game, there are a lot of super fans out there that are raring to go, and they hit the ground running from day one. And there's a great mix of personalities in there as well. A lot of different ages, not that much diversity in terms of ethnicity, but a lot in terms of um, in terms of occupation. Like Paul said, they do three episodes a week. These episodes range from like 45 minutes to 70 minutes sometimes. There's a lot of Survivor out there. But as a result, we get a lot of character building scenes. I feel like in the first like four or five episodes, we get to know pretty much everyone there. And that's crazy considering that there are 24 contestants. It's pretty yeah, insane. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> I mean, I, I won't spoil yeah. too, too much. There have been times when admittedly they do like they do to-be-continued episodes. And it sucks sometimes when you go in there and you realize that there's going to be an episode where someone doesn't go home. But I'm along for the ride. Have the past few episodes been disappointing? Sure. But again, I'm probably dating myself and it'll either take a turn for the worse and a turn for the better. But as long as I'm keeping up, I am really enjoying it so far. And I'd say it's it's up to snuff with Modern Survivor, in my opinion. You know who I liked? I liked Mad Dog. Oh, she's the she's the star of the show. Yeah, she's, she's, the, she's the constellation, if you will. Right. I don't I don't watch Australian Survivor because I don't like to be judged. <laughs> oh boy! All right. Yeah, let- no, it's fine. If, if you have extra, if you have an extra like five hours of your week, watch it. Um, my my official response, all all gimmicks aside, is I have not watched Australian Survivor. I probably will at some point. You know, if I can get a hold of them, but I'm I'm busy right now. I think I can't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's- I can't. I can barely even pay attention to a, a U.S. Survivor right now. I don't have the timeline. So, yeah. Australian Survivor, I've heard fantastic things about. I look forward to watching it one day, but I just will not have that time for quite some time. And the crazy thing is, we had our last pre-merge contestant leave after episode 14, which is like they were in as many episodes as a winner of Survivor. So it's crazy to think about the long-term spectrum. But those episodes will always be there, no matter when you guys approach them. So... You feel free to, you know, on a rainy day to watch some of them. They're, they're they're long, but they're a lot of fun. But let's get to a topic that we can all mutually discuss. Popsicle Incorporated asked us, how do you suggest we keep the show's original spirit alive? We have That's a good sp- question, Popsicles. <laughs> we, we have the spirit stick, the Popsicle spirit stick, if you will. How do we pass that <laughs> off uh, to make sure that Modern Survivor still holds the original season's values true? You can't. Well, yeah, I mean, you can't. It's a different show for different people. The only thing I can do is I do my best to write about Survivor, try to get people to appreciate it on different levels, the editing, the characters, the irony, the comedy stuff. And throughout that, I can throw in references to older seasons that people will want to learn about, people want to appreciate. So, I mean, that's really, as we're all just one person, like there's only so much any one person can do that we can just do our best to provide content out there for Survivor fans. And maybe if they like what we say, maybe if they find us an in- interesting part of the, the phenomenon, then they will check out what we've talked about in the past. So that's the only thing I can do. You shouldn't have to apologize for what you like or yeah. if you like the older seasons of Survivor. And you shouldn't have to apologize if you like the newer seasons of Survivor. You like what you like. You're a mm-hmm. fan of what you're a fan of. Um, and, and I think that, you know, to, to, to get mad at people that like modern seasons of Survivor and don't like old school seasons of Survivor is pointless. Everyone's different. Everyone likes what they like. My suggestion would be, um, and, and Mike can sort of back me up on this, There's theater, there are theater shows that, like, 
I consider I call them almost gateway shows in a weird way, um, in the sense that uh, musicals I think fit that genre very well. Like Phantom of the Opera is one, right? Where you know Phantom of the Opera is a show where most people know that show and they may want to see it and, or or experience it or they've experienced those sort of things. Even people who are like, I'm not really a musical person, but hey, they'll go see the Phantom of the Opera, and that's cool. And then they go and and they have a good time and you're like that was cool did you like that maybe you'll like this and it's like you know maybe 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 they've broken the seal of hey musicals maybe aren't the worst thing ever maybe i'd see another one and you know maybe you can break them into maybe seeing les mis or some other uh popular show and then once i see that maybe they can go down the line we've had several sort of gateway musical shows through the years phantom was one um uh, Wicked's one, you know, there are shows that 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 people who aren't necessarily musical or theater goer people go see these shows and maybe they enjoy themselves. And now you can go see other things, you know, maybe yeah. I would you, say I would you, say I would say Hamilton's really the biggest one of them all. Well, Hamilton is ha- Ham- we're not done yet with the Hamilton phenomenon in, in that sense. But yes, Hamilton now is the new sort of it is, it is broken into out of the musical theater world. And it's just it's just pop culture. Right. But you know, it doesn't mean that uh, Into the Woods or, you know, other shows aren't bad shows. They're just shows that people aren't necessarily going to gravitate to go see right away. And there's no problem with that. It's not that these are bad shows, but, you know, you need to get people into the genre. And, you know, a lot of modern Survivor fans, maybe they don't, maybe they haven't seen some of the earlier Survivor, or maybe they have and it didn't really appeal to them. And that's fine. But, you know, maybe try to find certain seasons that maybe they haven't seen that maybe they would like to see. Maybe if they hadn't seen Samoa, Samoa's a neat little season. Maybe they should just see that. And if they like Samoa, maybe they then like China. You know, the, you can sort of go that way. I mean, I know that we've talked about, hey, you should see the seasons in order, starting with the first. But, you know, people aren't built that way. And you just gotta, you gotta go with it. But to keep... I feel like modern Survivor doesn't need to necessarily keep old school Survivor alive. You keep old school Survivor alive by watching and remembering and liking old school Survivor. I mean, I, I would say there are certain elements of older seasons that I think would be still fun to be prevalent in modern seasons. Like, for example, I mean, I know they're cost cutting by filming two seasons in a row, but it would be nice to have theming around the area. I mean, like the Palau War theme, yeah. we absolutely love. And even as much as we bemoan. Exile Island, Island of Skulls, Zombie Island. I think that having theming behind these challenges is a lot of fun. And I actually, I love the cultural rewards. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, the hot air balloon ride and the taking the goats to eventually be slaughtered in the African village. Like, the Africa rewards stick out so much in my head because they're big cultural experiences. I mean, I would say one of the big, most prevalent rewards in Modern Survivor was the freaking tuk-tuk in Survivor Cambodia, because it was them, it wasn't strategy-related, it wasn't gameplay-related, it was just them having fun farting around with the culture. And I feel like those are fun moments where you can sort of take two or three minutes out of the j- the jammed, packed gameplay idol talk that Modern Survivor is, and really build out characters, or at least have some fun with the area around you. But yeah, but I mean, that speaks to the fact that that's not a goal of Survivor anymore is to highlight the the area that they're in, which I think is a shame, right? Yeah. But, you know, that that's, I, I feel like that's a sad reality of, of what has gone on in modern seasons. 
in truth, the only way to keep the spirit of the old Survivor alive is just to celebrate all Survivor seasons. I mean, point out the good in everything, and then they all become a franchise as opposed to different eras. Mm-hmm. You know what would you know what would help make the original Survivor spirit alive? Maybe show the full theme song at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, yeah, I get behind that. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah. So hopefully that uh, hopefully I answered your question, popsicles. So that's that. Put the survivor full theme song. I guess is our consensus opinion of how to keep <laughs> the old spirit alive. Uh, yeah. So a couple of questions to start wrapping things up, uh, but it's a big one. Ryan Lisman asked us, "How has Survivor affected your real life?" Now I feel like you can just sort of copy and paste Mario's introduction from the beginning of this podcast into his answer <laughs> for that. But I'm intrigued to hear from you, other guys, how Survivor has affected your real life, if if at all. How dare you shut me down? I have way more to add. <laughs> <laughs> now, go ahead. I'll think of something. We know how um, it affected can... Paul's life. Yeah, he already told yeah, us. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I've talked about that a lot. It really did have, like, a big impact on, like, what I did entertainment-wise growing up. Like I said, I went, you know, years without listening really to music because I just rewatched Survivor so much. Um, also was a big part of, like, my social life growing up in terms of, of putting on Survivor games. Um, how do you think how else? Um, I mean, how, how has it affected your TV viewing habits? Would you say that like the bulk of the TV you watch is reality television and or Survivor? I mean, I have moved uh, away from it, but for a long time, it really did because of Survivor. It's really dominated how what I watched as TV, and it was pretty much reality TV. And it hasn't been until much later on that I've branched out and seen other things. And I just know I remember like it was such a big deal for me when they moved Survivor off of Wednesday or off of Thursday nights onto Wednesday nights because like Thursday, I always would say Thursday is my favorite night of the week. It's a night. It's the day before Friday. Survivor's on. I have like memories of being in like we had like a little short study hall everyone had it for like 20 minutes in middle school of me like racing really hard to make sure i didn't have any homework on thursday night so i could devote it to survivor and just those types of things that like everything in the week was like gearing up for survivor night and um and i think about all the different places i've lived and places i've gone whether it was in in germany or chicago wherever it is like survivor has been a constant for me it's like the number one show that i make sure i have access to so even in you know in europe is a little bit more challenging and i i I bought it on itunes to have it downloaded and i had to watch it later and stuff um so that changed a little bit but that was like a common thread that no matter where i was i could think about a season of survivor and i can i have memories of what i was doing at that time like what i was doing with my life and i was watching it and that's something that's that stayed constant i'll give a, a serious answer here i know i know ryan lisman he, he will appreciate this answer now i'm a little older than you guys i was 25 when survivor aired so i didn't grow up with it or anything i always i was a fully formed adult i was we buried we already had two kids by or one kid anyway by 2000 so um what had survivor has how it has affected my life is in in two different ways and this isn't something I normally talk about all that much. And one thing is that I've long had an issue in my life in that I am in the wrong profession. I am in computer programming. I do programming for a living. It's great. It's a good way to support a family. I get a good paycheck. We're not starving. It's a good deal. But it's not what I should be doing. I am so right-brained. I'm creative. I love writing. I love comedy. I should not be trapped in a profession that doesn't use my my goal my my skills and my gifts which i i've always should have been something involving in writing creating something like that so if i did not have survivor i don't know what i would have done with my life like i would just be drudging to the office every day doing my work i'm sure i'd be a much better worker i'm not like the world's best employee these days i never have been but 
there's something that goes on in your brain when you're kind of stuck in a rut and it's not what you should be doing. You know you should might be not be doing this. It feels like you're wasting your life. So it's one of those things, if there had not been a survivor, if I had not kind of gotten involved with the community or what I do, it would have been a very unfulfilling life for me. I have this side gig right now where I get to write survivor articles. I get a fair bit of notoriety. I get a readership. I get not a lot of money, but some side money off. And it's, I feel like I'm using my gifts that I was born to do. So it's one of those things, like, again, this is a very deep answer, probably not what you're expecting, but it's one of those things I've always had this since 2000. And, okay, I can go write this. I, um, I'll get a little, some people will get some feedback. I can go on a message board. We'll talk about it. It's, it's a way to make my life more meaningful during the day. It's, it's not just the treasury of going to nine-to-five job and supporting a family and coming home and just doing dad stuff. So it's one of those things I've been very grateful to the, the doors that has opened to me. Like, I've been... I've, invited to fan events I've, I've written a book i mean i wouldn't have written mm. a book and I'm, now i'm a published author and it's you know it's silly it's just a self-published book but it's a big deal to someone like me who i've never really accomplished all that much from that perspective in my life so it's really opened a lot of doors to me and really it's just something i'm just some guy sitting on the internet at work or at home just writing stuff just here's an opinion i have on something maybe people will be interested and it's grown into this big industry now no, I mean, not industry, but in a big thing now where, like I said, the producers, the editors are reading the Funny 115 like I have a readership now. So I will always give thanks to Survivor for offering me that because I do think I would have been very depressed without something like this. And along those lines, I have had horrible anxiety issues my whole life. I, I am very socially anxious. I don't go out much. I don't have many close friends. People who have ever seen me at a Survivor event have seen how awkward I am at a party. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to talk to anybody. I have no idea what to do out in public. I've always suspected I might be Asperger's or something. And so it's 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 really helped with anxiety, just the idea of I've been able to write things about Survivor, things that I'm very much interested in, psychology, things, human behavior. I'm just very good at those things. I can put my thoughts out there. And it's very it's a very big thing to put your thoughts out in writing knowing thousands of people even hundreds of thousands will read them it's a very anxiety inducing thing and again you guys being actors you know this as well just putting your art out there putting yourself out there and being judged that's a horribly nerve-wracking thing anybody who creates and is judged on it so it is very much help with anxiety because i've i've learned a lot of confidence over the years i've learned writing skills i've learned how to deal with criticism i mean and you know, i know jay likes bagging on my stories and stuff but no one gets more criticism than me over the years. I've had people when I'm writing the Funny 115 will get my phone number and call me up and leave prank messages. Funny 115 sucks. You suck. Like I, I get, I've been bagged on so much over the years for stuff I do because that's what happens when you create something in a fan base that's that passionate. There's going to be positive things. There's going to be negative things. And I've had a ton of negative things. I've had people just talk shit about me to my face for years. I've been, I've had eras on Survivor Sucks where people hate my guts and they just make fun of me and trash me. So, I've developed a very thick skin. I've been very good at handling criticism. It's just been very good with anxiety over the years to the point that it's like when I do this podcast now, you can, if you've ever heard me on a podcast, like before I did Historians, I would be on Rob Sesternino's podcast. And if you listen to the way I talk back then, I talk very fast. I go like this. This is how I normally would talk. And I've, I've gotten better at, at just communicating my thoughts in words to people over a podcast just from doing it over and over. So there's been a lot of things Survivor has meant to my life personally that i don't think people realize and that's it's been very important to me on many levels yeah i mean i i was 
I guess I have very similar responses on almost a smaller microcosm, considering that, again, you know, I'm younger and I've, I've, I've done this significantly less in terms of Survivor content than you have, Mario. But, I mean, I'd say, speaking more so towards the show Survivor, that was the show that got me into reality TV. And I would say of, like, my top 100 shows, there's at least... 15 or so that are reality television shows because it was just a genre that sucked me in from day one and so it allowed me to kind of branch out into amazing race and big brother and top chef and rupaul's drag race and all everything under the sun it's sort of fed my addiction ever since in terms of genre it's one of my favorite genres to watch probably aside from comedy overall from a tv spectrum but yeah, I guess sort of like pairing this with this podcast as well and, and kind of becoming a, for lack of a better term, like a survivor content creator, I guess, in the past couple of years. I mean, I was very lucky in that I got involved with this podcast and with Rob's podcast right after I made a major career change and life change where essentially something that I had been doing and something that I had been built up to do with my life for the past 15 years, I essentially said, I, I don't want to make this financially you know I, I don't i don't want to depend on this for the rest of my life and that was a very scary thing and i was trying to figure out you know how do i hold down a nine to five and still do things that i want to do and if so what do i want to do and i'm still figuring out you know what i want to do with my life but when you guys said that you were looking for someone to be on the podcast i said well i've never done a podcast before i've done improv it seems like these guys are just, you know, improvising with each other and bringing up random things that they know about Survivor. I guess I could do that. Let me try. And it's, it's, I've learned so much about myself, about podcasting, about reality TV, about community, the reality TV community, which I had really not been a part of over the past couple of years. And as weird and sappy as it is to say, I've, uh, I've gained a lot of confidence in myself. Um, I'm someone who's very self-deprecating, someone who uh, throughout my adolescence, through my college years, never thought I was good enough to warrant any good things in my life, uh, a date, a good grade, a, an accolade, anything. And uh, granted, there are, you know, a myriad of people out on the internet who who make sure that they, that I know I suck on a daily basis, which I think I need to keep myself in check for. But um, I, it's it's an incredible feeling to just be able to you know, come onto a podcast, say what I think and get people's responses to it and have conversations based on that. And again, it's weird. It's, it's freaking survivor podcasting. We're not helping out children in Africa or anything, giving them AIDS medicine, but it's, it's weird thinking about like how much this has really, and survivor in general has really meant to my life so far and how it's really built out a, a huge friend community. I mean, I've become friends with all you guys and all these other Survivor fans out there just purely through this show and through this podcast. So it's been it's been incredible to see how much I've changed as a person just by Survivor and the Survivor community and really breaching into that community in the past couple of years. Yeah. Um, I don't think I could put it any better than what you guys have said. Um, you, the listener, thank you for listening to us and listening to me and, and giving me a creative outlet. I mean, I have, uh, I guess, you know, Mario has got this, Oh, I got to write because I'm a computer programmer and they, you know, they take away my ghostbuster ideas there. But like, <laughs> you know, with me, I mean, I, I, I do act in the community and stuff like that. I mean, I do have creative outlets, but survivor has always been something that I've been interested in. And it's something that I think that I can break down pretty well. And, you know, I, I, 
I did this podcast with Mario, and we talked about how this wonderful, happy accident that happened because of this this podcast and this format, and the fact that we were able to riff, uh, you know, me and Mario and Paul, and then later with Mike uh, on this podcast. And it, do you know how weird it is to like go to the Survivor subreddit and hear people like talk about your podcast? You know, and it, it's mostly good, and sometimes it's bad, and you know. Sometimes Mario sucks, and that you know it, things yeah, happen, right? It happens. But like, it's it's so it's so surreal to like go to places on the internet, uh, the Survivor subreddit, or to Survivor sucks, you know, or to various Facebook groups, and have people talk about your podcast and you, and 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 and, and what, and by you I mean me, and and what you know the positive or negative things that that they like or dislike about me. It's just it's it's amazing. All of all of the feedback is amazing that that we get, and I know that it's not a, a lot, but it, it, this podcast in particular has opened up so much. Um, I would say with I don't know if it if it's impacted my life in the sense that uh, of my work or 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 my friends uh, in this area or anything like that, but but online my my online life has has been a lot, has been shaped a lot by Survivor. And I have met so many great uh, friends through this, which is all of you guys, and 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 more. And it has been, it's it's sort of life-changing in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And I know that I am a very, very small part of the online machine that puts together Survivor content, you know, but, but I've, I've enjoyed my part and I will continue to enjoy the small part that I have. And I'm not necessarily looking, you know, it, it's been very fun to watch the survivor community grow, to watch Rob's empire uh, grow into the amazing thing that it is now to watch Mike Bloom become super great at podcasting and doing things. It's just been a joy to watch all of you guys get so good and, and create such good content. And, you know, just, just the fact that I, you know, that I'm just a small part of that is, super humbling and it is amazing and you the listener get all the credit for all of that and i and i have to thank you for that yeah absolutely i think i we have one of the best like listener bases out there i think you guys are so funny and so knowledgeable and the feedback that you provided for this listener question alone i think just shows the breadth and general scope of you know how much you guys dedicate time to listening to these nine to ten hour conversations where we do really inane impressions and make horribly offensive jokes about people in sexual situations and it's i mean i it's still surreal to me that i get to podcast about a show that i was watching when i was 10 and that i never thought anyone really cared about and now i found a group of people that really do so it's it's been an incredible experience so far i'm excited to see what happens next uh, you know the feedback that I love the most, and I have to just pipe in on this, that you guys are absolutely right. We have a very supportive audience. You guys are always there to help us out. You give good feedback. and it's. I remember I read a quote from Lady Gaga just a couple years ago where she said it's very, it's, it's very, hey, I, I'm not the only one who can quote Gaga here. If I could quote Lady Gaga first. I'm just going to say this is a good quote. You're going to step on my feet here. All right. So, yeah, she said that it's very hard being a artist in today's society because, you know, if you're cre- you're cre- out there creating something, it's going to be torn apart. No matter what it is, someone's going to tear it apart somewhere. And it's very support. It's very uh, 
nice to know that our audience and just the survivor audience in general is not really like that. Like they're very passionate and they can be mean spirited and protective of the things that they find important, but they have never done that to us or really most of the podcasts I've seen out there. They always support the podcast. They love the content. So I just want to, uh, again, thank our listeners for being like that with us as well, because, you know, it's the worst thing in the world if you're creating something for people and either you're being ripped apart or even worse, people are just ignoring it and say nothing about it. So I have to follow up and just agree with what Jay and Mike said. Man, I have to say the best feedback I ever hear, and I hear this a lot, people say, you know, I have to commute to work every day. I have a horrible subway ride. I have a long commute or I have to go on a six hour plane ride tomorrow. It's going to be terrible. And I take your podcast and it makes the time go so much faster. And I, that heartens me so much when I hear that, because again, that's what I do during the day. Like I write about survivor, I interact about survivor. I create stuff because it makes my day go faster. It makes the day better. So if we can make people's day better, especially something like a commute, a commute is just I've had jobs where I've had a bad commute where I'm driving two hours every day back and forth. It's the worst and more. I mean, I know people drive even more than that. So the fact that we can make your day better just by listening to us make your commute go better or your plane ride go better, that's really all we can ask as a, uh, a per- people that make a podcast. This, this, the past 10 minutes has felt like the equivalent of the Aaron Boot episode in terms of sappiness. <laughs> I know. This is a very special episode of Historians. All right, so to finish things off, because Mario, I know this is a question you get a lot, and uh, we'll funnel it through Raider1058's question. What's the plan for the future of the Survivor Historians? Well, this is going to be different no matter who you talk to with the four of us. I mean... I never planned it to go on indefinitely. I just figure I'd do it until the point that I lost interest in the show. But hanging out with you guys and doing these shows is so much fun that I can't see that happening. Like, I can just see us, well, uh, Survivor 38 sucked, but let's talk about it. I mean, that could be 15 years down the road, but it'll be fun to make fun of it. So I can't see a finite end to the show. I can just kind of seeing us doing it until either we all get too busy to do it or there's no Survivor anymore. So I don't really see it ending, but I also can't see it uh, us cranking out podcasts any faster i mean it's uh, all of us are getting super busy these days we're way busier than we probably were five years ago so this isn't never going to be one of those podcasts where you're going to get a new episode every week or every two weeks like it's just not going to happen you're there's going to be delays where we could go four months between a podcast so i don't know what the future is going to hold if it becomes a point like where i can't where i'm doing so many other projects i can't commit to this on a on a regular basis, I could see myself dropping out just so the show can go on without me and you can get them out. But I don't know. I really have no idea what the future is other than we're going to do it as long as we have fun doing it. Yeah. As long as there are old ladies that could be falling on survivor, I will be here. I'll be intrigued to see, and maybe survivor Nicaragua may be a source of that. Paul, you know, if, and when we get to, the twenties, because Mario, I know you're currently covering this for the one funny one fifteen, but I know that this is around the time when survivor coverage started kicking up into that method that Jay and I had talked about before of, you know, now pod, survivor podcasts are really going to start up and that's when Rob's going to start doing his thing. And this is when, you know, more secret scenes are released. I feel like the post heroes versus villains era is when content kind of became viral on survivor. So if, and when we get to it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, when we cover it, how it may differ and how we might time out the historical context in a period that's already kind of been covered by the Internet. Yeah, at that point, I think that we don't, you know, you would not focus so much on the history of the show. Then we would just give it the treatment of we're looking at it and then we're just looking for the moments within the show 
you know, and, and the show would, we'd have to, we'd have to change just as survivor has to change yeah. uh, as it is. Uh, I said earlier that, you know, you flatter Mario, things will happen. Right. So like, you know, it was just going to be the one episode. Now nah, we, now nah, we got to do another one. Then we did another one that was like, oh, okay, we'll do the first four seasons. And then we started doing that. And then Mario's like, well, we got to at least go through all stars. So we <laughs> did that. And then, and then we were thinking maybe 10 would be a good cutoff. Cause we were like, well, we got to talk about Palau. Right. <laughs> But then, you know, Palau's coming around, and Mario's like, well, we got to do Guatemala. And it's like, you know, it keeps going. And I feel like at some point, Mario would be like, all right, that's it. No more historians. And someone will say, Mario, do another season. All right, we'll do another season. So I feel like, I feel like we're not really necessarily ending this podcast. And I think that because, you know, I think that the curse is also the blessing. The curse in the sense that... I know that people are always like, man, do more content. Get these episodes out faster than like one every couple of months or something like that. But I think that because we do one episode every couple of months, we could dedicate a lot of uh, of thought process to it and research to it. And then the fact that, you know, we have these busy lives um, and, and getting a podcast together, you know, we can ensure that we will still create content. I know it is at a glacial pace, but... You know, I, because we do that, I feel like this podcast will continue to have life, you know, even though all of us are getting older and, you know, uh, Mario has kids that are getting older and are, you know, Mario will be an empty nester at some point. Soon, four years. Yeah, right? Like, you <laughs> yeah. know, that's, that's how it goes. That's when Paul and... moves in. <laughs> <laughs> Ding dong. But... You know, and, and and I'm middle-aged, but we've got Paul and Mike that are, you know, figuring out their lives and getting things going. And, you know, maybe they will have kids. I don't know what their their thing is, but it's like as long, you know, we've we've created this weird, this weird, unique format where we can keep creating content at a at a very consistent, slow pace, to tell you the truth. So I feel like because we've done that, I feel like this show can continue for as long as we need it to continue. Yeah. There will always be a coach three or four seasons down the road as the carrot in front of the donkey. I can't quit now because coach is coming. I can't quit now because coach is coming again. Yeah, again. And then, well, we got to talk about Redemption Island. We can't pass that up. So, yeah, I mean, I could just see it's it's going to happen. There's so many seasons way down the road. It's It will go on in some format, I'm sure, as long as Survivor goes on. Well, gentlemen, we have finished the question. So speaking of looking ahead, we have no excuses now. We have to move on and talk about Survivor Micronesia. Yeah, this you could make the argument that after Borneo and Australia, Micronesia is the single most important Survivor season. I mean, I could I could see that argument. I don't like that argument, but you could make that. God, didn't I say that? Oh, you made that. Yeah, we we, we had the we had I'm the sorry. whole act. I, we had the whole act one. Jam, or... The whole act one, act two comparison at the end of the China podcast. Okay. It's I, I have a, a short-term memory problem these days. I don't remember. It's it reminds me of a quote from Lady Gaga. No, <laughs> it was born no, this yes. way. Yes, exactly. No, I'm excited to talk about Micronesia. It's not again. We went through this at the end of China, but yeah, that's not my favorite season. But there is so much to talk about. And I yep. think it's it's fitting that we had a lot of questions about Modern Survivor as well, and our thoughts. And again, I'll parrot what I, we talked about at the end of the China podcast, but. There's a lot of sensibilities of Modern Survivor and what production emphasizes in terms of making a product that comes, I feel, directly from the results of Micronesia. And it becoming such a big water cooler success and production saying, great, let's take the things that they apparently liked and copy and paste it into every season, which has worked to varying effects. Uh, but it's going to be a very, very significant season to talk about. 
as we talked about before, I'm probably more on the positive end of the spectrum than some of our co-patriots here on the podcast. So I'm probably more psyched to talk about it than some other people here. As- I'm very excited. Associates, Mike. <laughs> yes, get, other get associates. Get it might be 2v2 in uh, this podcast. I'm excited. <laughs> Great, 2v2. Oh, yeah. Well, we got a lot to look forward to. Although, I, okay, I have to say one thing. I've, I've heard some criticism on historians recently. That's Somebody wrote me and said, you know, our, why do you guys use spoilers so much? Like, I watch, I watch the seasons from the beginning of Survivor. I get up to your podcast, and then you guys spoil seasons down the road where you say, like, oh, uh, Boston Rob is going to win a Redemption Island or, like, People get mad that there's a couple of readers that get mad that we give spoilers. So I, I do apologize that we gave tons of spoilers in this episode. It's in the nature of this specific type of podcast. There's no way we can avoid that. That's just oh. unfortunately we just, we assume you've seen every season. That's kind of how we go into it. Also, I am going to okay because because sometimes we talk about it and I do think about it in a ways because you know so like when we started the Survivor China podcast, I think that. You know, it was probably me, but but one of us mentions Todd winning literally, you know, within the first half an hour of the first episode of Survivor China. And I mean, we're not even close to the end. Right. So so I guess if someone is going into China fresh and they're watching the episodes and then they listen to our podcast and like, oh, damn it, they said Todd wins. And now I know Todd wins and I didn't know that before. And, you know, I, I think about that sometimes. Like, should we try to go for some sort of unspoiled uh podcast as we go along but on the other hand i'm like survivor china literally was like 10 years ago yeah it's like someone basically being like dude you spoiled the end of citizen kane for me it's like that movie (laughs) is like ridiculously old dude if you yeah you know i haven't seen it yet so no spoilers of course you haven't paul i'm not surprised by that (laughs) at all Yeah, so, so, we, so we, yeah, okay, well, I'm sorry that we spoiled that Boston Rob wins Redemption Island, but it's like literally that was several years ago. Also, watch yeah. episode one of Redemption Island, you know that Boston Rob wins that season. <laughs> also yeah. that, good point, Mike. <laughs> yes. But we do have sympathy for that argument. I do feel bad yes. if we spoil stuff. So it's just the nature of the show. There's no way we can do we not spoil seasons in the future because the, a lot of them involve the timeline of Survivor. So uh, we apologize. And unfortunately, it probably will happen again. Yeah, I, I feel like the historians is always a good, it's a good companion piece in the sense of, you know, you sort of, you don't know always, and maybe maybe we should label it, I don't know if we do, but like, you know, like we do Survivor China first part, you know, and, and it's like we do the first four or five episodes, and it's like, I feel like, you know, you can watch those episodes, and like listen to our podcast, or listen to our podcast, and then watch the episodes, and sort of, you know, it's a companion piece, but like it shouldn't be a, I've never watched Survivor Marquesas before. Let me listen to the historians. It's like we're going to spoil everything. If you want the if you want the the experience, you got to watch it first. Yeah. Like if you want to watch Paul knock over his little brother, you have to watch Survivor Montana. Don't just listen to us talk about. No, it. but this Ooh, is like this is like the handheld out. camcorder footage. Like, I hope your mom got that on tape, Paul. You're you potty <laughs> checking your brother. Oh, that is. It's a good one. Like in our rewatches, I have it on a VHS though. I gotta like find it from the VHS, find a VCR, and like videotape that scene just so we can get that. Do you like body check your brother? Does your mom like run to your aid, and then the camera's on the ground, and then your dad like no no picks it no, up. He, he picks no, it up. No, my dad then, was like, he, my dad. <laughs> My dad was not involved in any of this. Lori kept it very professional. She <laughs> kept that thing running. And, and does, does he does he pick it up and is he like looking at it and like only half his face is in the frame and he just looks and goes, I, I don't know. You, you have to wait and see. 
He fell. He fell pretty bad, Lori. Oh man. <laughs> I don't know. As intense as like the co wrong evacuation is like the treating of the ice pack to Darren's head as he as after he got <laughs> checked by Paul. Uh, all right. This was uh, this was a fantastic time. I think we laughed, we cried, we found out that Mario ghosted a lot of Survivor historians in the past. Uh, we answered a lot of questions. Thank you guys again for submitting everything. I'm sorry that we couldn't get to everything, but I think we really ran the gamut of a lot of questions about Survivor, and it makes me even more excited to tackle Micronesia whenever that may come. All I right. love you guys. Aww. <laughs> Group hug. Group hug. Please flatter me. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, uh, we will leave things there. We will talk to you guys very soon about Survivor Micronesia. But for now, for the Survivor Historians, I'm Mike Bloom. I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher. You can't read my poker face. <laughs> and I'm Paul Ossison. Watch out or I'll check you and your little brother. <laughs> All right, Lori, we're cutting. We're cutting. Okay? We're done.
Oh my. 